Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini, represented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, I've got a Christmas miracle on our hands here. It is a <laughs> Christmas uh, gift for the masses. Cole's Wicker is back. He's back on the podcast. Cole, how, how's it been? It's been five months or so, maybe four months since I've talked to you on the podcast. I talked to you like yeah, maybe I- like four times, five times a week, but like in general, how are you doing? <laughs> Doing well, man. I think it's last time we left off. I think we were doing that mega prospect series that we broke down every uh, division and stuff like that. So that was a lot of fun. Good to be back. Uh, I took some time off. Just a lot of you know real life scenarios at play. So it's good to be back producing content. And uh, yeah, always enjoy talking with you on the podcast, man. And l- let's be clear about this: uh, these real life scenarios are, are not negative. Just Correct. like I-, yeah. I want people to know that it's not like anything bad going on in your life. Yeah, I'm glad you're in charge of this discussion so it gets uh, elicited in better fashion. But yes, absolutely. It, it, they're, they're positive steps. But yeah, just a lot of it's just really busy and I couldn't really focus on creating content and also keeping up with the NBA and college basketball. So now I'm at a place where I can come back, kind of discuss a little bit more and have more free time. And speaking of discussing all of this, what we're going to do on the podcast today, we're going to talk about the Phoenix Suns at the top because they've won four straight games. They've actually looked really interesting and you know obviously for Cole and I we like to discuss young players and it's hard to find a team with more young players than the Phoenix Suns I guess in the NBA are are they the youngest team in the NBA they have to be aren't they I mean I don't know this yeah I don't have the stats in front of me but you you would think so <laughs> yeah they, they almost have to be um especially are, now yeah especially now that they've gotten rid of Trevor too um we're gonna move from there we're gonna talk about all of the NBA rookies this season uh you know Cole and I talked for hours at length on this podcast about the NBA rookies leading into the draft. So it's going to be interesting to get his perspective. You know what? I guess we're two months into the season. We're going to be able to really get a 30 game, one third of the season look at some of these guys and, you know, kind of hear where he's at on them. And then finally, we're going to move into this year's draft and just get early, early indications on where we're all at on this. So, Cole, let's start with Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns, like I said, have won four games in a row. Uh, they uh, are eight and twenty-four. They are still just in nowhere near competitive mode in the Western Conference. They're still like six games out from the fourteenth seed because the Western Conference is just insane. Um, but where are we at on Phoenix now that they've kind of started to? I, I don't want to say they figured things out. I mean, what like two weeks ago they were just losing games by twenty-five points every other night, basically it seemed like, but. They have kind of pulled some things together, it looks like, a little bit. So let's let's just kind of start as an overall view. Where where are your thoughts on the Phoenix Suns? Yeah, I mean, I've watched a lot of them this year, like you alluded to, because of the prospects. They just have so many guys, young players on their team. They're fascinating to watch how they develop over time. My read on the Suns is that they are, they're not a competitive team. They're not good, but they're much better than their record indicates. Like, I think they're better than all three or all four of the bottom four teams in the East, meaning New York, Cleveland, Atlanta, and Chicago, as currently constructed at this juncture. I just think it took them 25 plus games to figure it out. Like they started Isaiah Cannon from the off with Ryan Anderson. Cannon shouldn't have not even been in the rotation. So giving those minutes to guys like Mikhail Bridges, DeAnthony Melton over time, it makes sense now. Like my overarching take is their roster makes sense now. Like they identified what their strengths are, which is they have a ton of wing size players, especially acquiring Kelly Oubre as well. Um, they're building defense around Devin Booker. So they're starting Melton there. It gives them a little bit of an added playmaking um, incentive there. Like if you watch 
I think the Suns played the Sixers on the road earlier this year, and it was basically Devin Booker and James Harden roll. Like it was basically spread pick and roll every single time. They had nobody else that could create anything on the wings. Like Ariza couldn't. Mikhail, that's not really his game. Uh, Josh Jackson, they couldn't really rely on him there. So overall, I think that they figured out. They've given Melton gives them a little bit more of an added playmaking dynamic. I thought he's been pretty good in like pick and roll pass out situations. And overall, it's just like you have. You know, eight and at the five, you surround him with wings. They switch a lot. Like that Boston game the other night, they were switching everything. Their length with McHale and Oubre was terrifying and passing wins and stuff like that. So they didn't make any sense when the season started rotation-wise, personnel. I think now they have the personnel and the talent to actually start winning some games. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know that they're going to start, like, winning a lot of games. But I think that Correct. they're going to, you know, maybe from here on out, I think that their Vegas over under was like 32 or something coming into the year, which in general was probably, I mean, obviously it was way too high given what they're at right now. But like, I thought that their under was a pretty safe bet coming into the year. And I would bet you that from this stage forward, they probably do play more like a 32-ish win does, uh, unless they just like totally tank at the end of the season, which, you know might make sense in the race for Zion, although there is lottery reform this year. So it's instead of the top three teams, it's now a top five lottery situation. Um, although that might even incre- increase tanking in some ways because teams want to get pick certainty in the top six as opposed to falling out. We'll discuss that at some other point whenever that gets closer. <laughs> but Devin Booker, I think, has taken a really nice little step forward this year as a playmaker. Like he's shooting 32% from three. Uh, I think in large part due to the injury in the early season. Uh, it just took him a while, and then he obviously missed some games recently as well. Uh, I assume that once he gets healthy, the shooting is going to rebound because everything else looks like it kind of has taken a leap. Like, he is definitely taking a leap as a pick-and-roll passer. That is number yep. one where I'm looking. I'm just like, holy hell, this guy might actually be like James Harden light. You know what I mean? He's not there. He's not. He's probably not going to be James Harden just because uh, James Harden is ridiculous in terms of being able to just spread pick and roll and pull up from three. Like I think that right now James Harden has made twice as many unassisted three pointers as literally any other player in the NBA so <laughs> far this season. Uh, I would severely doubt that Devin Booker ever gets to that level. But what he could do is I think I am a little bit more comfortable with just putting the ball in Devin Booker's hands, having him act as a pseudo point guard, lead guard and letting him make decisions because he's looked pretty good. The turnovers have been like a small issue, but he's looked pretty good regardless in making decisions. And I think that was always the key to him. We talked about this in the past in the podcast. If you put him in that role, I mean, you're maxing this guy out right now financially. You want to get that return on investment. And the best way to do that is to give the ball to him and let him be the playmaker. And he's really developed over the last two seasons. And I was really hard on him the first two years. I'll be fully, you know, <laughs> I'll admit that for sure. Like I think I both of us I, were. I don't really like that archetype. Traditionally, the guys who are just like the off-ball kind of scorers who are bad defensive players, but he's morphed into more of a lead guard type. And I've, I have been pushing that. Like, if you're going to get value out of this guy, and, you know, it's one all-encompassing stat via real plus minus, but this is the first year he's been a positive player. And I think you can draw conclusions to an extent about that and his role, being like he's a playmaker now. He's the guy to give the ball to. He can make all the reads and pick and roll, basically all of them. I've been really impressed with his decision-making, his vision. He's just really improved. The guy's competitive. You can tell in his approach that 
he really cares. And I think that he has that in his outcome where he can be like a potential championship level player. I think the defense, he's played better recently. I still got to see that get to a level where it's respectable in the playoffs, but at least he has positional size. Like he's 6'6". He's not going to be like the 6'2 guard that just gets killed every single time. But if he plays better defense, I think the Suns have a legit kind of potential franchise guy to use like a popular nomenclature, I guess. Well, yeah, he's he's easier to hide defensively. Like uh, there's a world two years, three years down the road, I think, whenever they're like truly competing, maybe like I would imagine like that's their goal in three years. They want to be competing in the playoffs. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, DeAndre Ayton is, you know, right when his rookie contract comes up and they have to consider extending him at some point, they're going to want to be in a place where they can go out and try and add like another star via free agency. Like that's kind of the cycle that they're on right now. And with Devin, the key is that in three years, maybe he adds 10 pounds over those three years. Uh, he gets up to like 220, 225. And you could throw him on like fours, maybe even just to hide him. Like, I mean, like you want to be able to put him on the worst opposition wing player perimeter player and his six foot six size his uh strength improvement over the course of the last three years really it's been huge to be able to just make him not as problematic defensively as he's been in the past absolutely and i think like with the insurgents or the like Mikhail coming into the lineup, DeAnthony Melton, Rashawn Holmes has been huge for them this year as like an energy guy off the bench. Like he plays really hard defensively. When you start surrounding Booker with guys that really try, that was the problem earlier this season is like Tyson Chandler didn't give a fuck. Yeah. Um, like Trevor Reza didn't always play hard. You know, Ryan Anderson isn't going to set the tone defensively. Like this is why I think that like this is the fit for Zion in my opinion. Like if they get Zion, they can move to the next step because he answers so many questions. He fills in so many yeah. need areas for them. If they get him, I think they really they're looking at a three star potential um, infrastructure. We'll see how the defense develops. That's clearly the biggest issue with this team moving forward. I think it's like their defensive ceiling. Um, but overall, I think that you can at least see the ingredients now. And I totally agree. Booker has taken a legit step, and he's become a player that not a lot of players can get to. Like we, I initially thought maybe this is a CJ McCollum type player. He's taken his playmaking to the next level. It's great to see. Yeah. So let's move on. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna save DeAndre for last because DeAndre, you and I have talked about him a million times and it'll (laughs) it'll go in nicely into the second part of our discussion when we're going to talk about um the rookies in this class uh it's worth kind of going into the wings though i think because mikhail bridges i've been very impressed with what i've seen from mikhail bridges uh early this season and again uh, he's still not hitting threes yet like i I have faith that guy is going to hit threes at some point in his career probably starting like next year even maybe even later this year but he's still only shooting 33 percent, and he's making a legit positive impact when he's on the floor just via his length via being able to uh disrupt guys with his hands he's a very smart positional defender Uh, we have seen some of the like small questions i had in terms of his being able to stay in front of guys but i'm okay with that like i'm actually pretty okay with what i've seen from him especially if you're going to play him next to devin booker 100 percent. yeah i think that there's clear weaknesses here i mean they were always there in college like he's not the most switchable guy he's not very strong he's not like a wing stopper he's more of like a off-ball defender who makes great decisions and he can switch and then his length is just absolutely he's so good at utilizing his length gets a lot of steals on the ball off the ball deflections you can just go a long way with a 6'6 guy with a 7'2 wingspan who knows where what i think he is is he might be like robert coving he might be like the newer robert covington right 
Exactly right. But like more of a 2-3 than a 3-4. Right. Like he's not as big as Covington, but they, that's exactly the conceptual idea of him. Is like those guys are just positive players. Like guys who know where to be. They are great team defenders and they disrupt a lot of things. Like Mikhail disrupts with his length. He, he changes plays. He saves the Suns possessions and, and points on that end just by being smart. And then offensively, he doesn't use possessions. He's basically a spot up guy. I think they could do, Igor can do a little bit better of a job utilizing him off motion. Like he can come down off a pin down curl and like shoot over the top he can dribble and like pull up off the dribble a little bit he's been a lot of like corner three-point shooter for a lot of the season which is fine um his mechanics are irritating me <laughs> frankly like he's he speeds up his release when he's contested but when you notice if he's open he will it's really slow and he does it on purpose and i've never seen anything like it before and it seems like he shoots worse when he does that it's just very irritating but yeah i, I think that the shot will come around eventually and it's just like those kinds of guys are winning players like i get all the weaknesses i think eventually the suns are going to need a bigger wing that can really like guard those bigger small forwards in the league they're going to need that because McHale is ideally placed in the backcourt next to Booker, and he can kind of just fill in the gaps. If they get that stopper, I think McHale even makes more sense than he already does, which is, you know, again, a very conducive player to winning basketball. Yeah, you need like a secondary frontcourt ball handler, almost, if you're going to get the most out of him playing next to Booker in the front in the yep. backcourt, you know? Um, Zion. <laughs> Zion. Um, but like, even, like, I don't even know if Zion qualifies for that, like, totally. You know, like, I think you even might need, like, another guy who makes really really good decisions with the basketball and can actually like break pressure and get you into your set at like the 18 second mark uh you know once you get into the half court you know like otherwise i'm a little bit worried about that but mikhail has been really good josh jackson has been a mess um actually real quick on mikhail's shooting mechanics because i find them very interesting too they started to change pre-draft and i don't know why i don't know why anyone fucked with his shooting mechanics i don't know it probably, why would you it was probably him like i'm assu- like i'm assuming at some point it was his decision to do this i don't know why they fucked with the shooting mechanics he was like a consistent 40 percent three-point shooter in college but yeah he needs to needs to not do that yeah like go watch the marquette game from last year where he was coming off like down screens and like flare screens from like 28 feet and just sinking you know pull up jumpers you know what i mean off movement and stuff like that you didn't need to tinker with anything like he was a legit shooter and now it's just like he's inconsistent with his release speed i just don't understand it yeah so josh jackson has been kind of a mess this year Uh, he has been like slightly better uh over the course of the last like three weeks and it's been very slight but it's been a little bit better um if you remember last season he started really really poorly too for whatever reason um where are you at with josh like i i don't feel great about him i'm not gonna lie to you i I really don't feel good about him at all but uh, i'll give you the floor i mean it's not a direct comparison but how I approached Josh coming into the draft was like, this guy could be like a legit secondary creator. We saw some of the winning plays he did at Kansas and like, Oh, this guy can fill in the gaps. He's like someone who can, maybe you can stagger with Devin Booker and he can kind of run the playmaking. And then it hasn't really materialized that way. Like he just doesn't make good decisions on the floor. He takes terrible shots. I mean, against Boston, he was hitting like these step back jumpers off the dribble. And it's like, okay, he hasn't made those all year. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you don't want him taking those shots, but I will give him credit for this. Like the guy is playing fucking hard recently like he's really yeah. playing hard and, and he's got difference making athleticism on the floor like as, as far as just on like the first step isn't there offensively a lot of it functionally isn't there but when he tries defensively like he's really fast he's super athletic he can cause events and that is kind of how he's progressed as a player like he you don't want him in like this high usage offensive role where he has playmaking duties it's more like he's an ancillary player next to high you know usage guys like Devin Booker DeAndre Ayton and he's just kind of a fill on the gaps guy who plays hard it's, it's kind of 
like the same arc as DeAndre Bembry a little bit. Not the same player, but Bembry came into the league. I was really high in his decision-making. And now he's kind of a wild player, but his energy is just infectious. Like, he comes in games, and he literally just goes hard for, you know, six-minute stints. And it kind of changes the game a little bit for Atlanta. And that's kind of how I see Josh. Well, it's a lot easier to be that guy, though, when you are a two-star recruit going to St. Joe's and then, like, <laughs> yeah. we're, like, the 21st overall pick or something, wherever, whatever DeAndre was. Like, Josh Jackson has been told his entire life that he's the star. And I think that that's a difficult adjustment. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's very difficult to say, hey, Josh, we need you to come off the bench and just, like, kind of make shit happen. And he is super competitive. He is, like, the quintessential winner, I guess, like, in a lot of ways. Like, he has that kind of competitive drive, that fire, that mentality that he does want to really help the team. So, like, that'll help him kind of move into this role. And he's still only 21, so, like, maybe you hope that this turns around but like the skill the problem is the shooting and the just efficiency as a scorer it's just not there in the half court like he he's a difference maker in transition offensively he's just not a difference maker he's like a guy you don't have to guard in the half court offensively yeah if you outline skills that are valuable for wings it's mostly off movement shooting and team defense and he doesn't have the off movement shooting he doesn't even have the spot up shooting and that's the issue with him is like he just doesn't contribute in a lot of the reads he can make skip passes when he's unselfish you know he's gonna be an effective player it's just when you start giving him that scoring usage that's when he gets derailed yeah let's just move on because this is making me sad um (laughs) (laughs) kelly Oubre is very fun too i like kelly Oubre. Uh, i think i'm higher on kelly Oubre than like the general consensus is uh i look at him as someone who is basically everything i'm looking for except as a shooter like i think he's actually gotten a lot better defensively than what he was uh as a younger player and as a player entering the he uses length a little bit better especially whenever they play him down at the four uh or at least did in washington i did not watch his debut uh, i know that he ended up having uh pretty solid two blocks he had a steal uh, he had 13 and six but i actually really like this move for them I I thought it was smart I know that they're gonna have to make a decision on whether or not they want to pay him but I think he actually really helps them I like it because it reinforces their identity and that's what they've lacked all season like the Kings have an identity like those guys get up and down they they base their identity off De'Aaron Fox's speed and that's something the Suns haven't had they've been kind of in and out they've had Ryan Anderson in the starting lineup you can't really switch with him Cannon, of course, doesn't really do anything positive on the floor. So now they have just a bunch of wings <laughs> that are really interchangeable and they can switch a lot. You saw them against Boston, like down the stretch, like they were terrifying. Their length, like again, Mikhail yeah. and Ubre, like their length really matters. And I think that identity part, being able to just go, okay, we're going to go point Booker and then put three wings and then DeAndre Ayton. That makes sense to me. And so that's why I like the Ubre deal is that it adds their identity. I don't like it if it was like a preordained decision that they're going to extend him no matter what. Like, like they're like, oh, we need to get something for Trevor Ariza. So let's trade for Ubre and we're going to pay him $15 million regardless. Like, I'm not with that. But as like a trial right now, I think this is the perfect kind of player to get into your locker room. A guy who's had some character issues in Washington. You get him into your locker room. You see what he is as far as his mental makeup. He's a wing who can play conceptually both sides of the floor. I think this is exactly the kind of test case you want to take a chance on. From what I understand, like he was, it's not, it's not like a character thing where he is like it is kind of in his own world that's fair yeah so like I, I i don't like i think that he's he's the kind of guy where like whenever you say like character issues like his his issues are the kind that you want to bet on you know yeah absolutely i'm not saying he's like a bad guy just that i'm just going by conceptual rumors and stuff like that like he wasn't like i guess always focused and all of that like there wasn't it just there was something missing i would say with his approach to the game sure. and 
as much more as much as Phoenix can find out about that over the next remainder of the season and then make a decision that's in an informed decision this summer, I think that's the way to approach it. All right, and let, let's get into these last two young guys because well, before that, are you, is Dragon done? You think Dragon's done, right? I mean, it's not a great sign that he's not getting minutes on this team, especially in the beginning of the season where they Igor is really just rotating a bunch of guys in and out. Elia Kobo was in and out. Like they were just trying to find some kind of identity and consistent rotations, and it's not a great sign that he wasn't a part of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Dragon is at least in Phoenix. I think he's done. Um, yeah, and uh, I like. Where, like, I think he should probably go over to Europe and develop for a few years. Um, there will be plenty of teams in Europe that are willing to uh, facilitate that, in my opinion, given that he'll only be 22 after next year. Um, just sure. to me, that makes sense. Um, let's talk about the last two guys here, because they're the two guys that I, I don't know if we disagreed on D'Anthony Melton, like, totally. I think that we both like had the same conception of his game. I think you were a little bit higher on his offense than I was, and that's why you had him. You had him as like a late lottery grade, correct? Yeah, I think I had him like thirteenth or something like that. Right, and I had him like early to mid twenties or so, in large part because of that like small difference in their offense. And it's funny because so far in his like early career, where he's played fifteen games and is starting games now for Phoenix, a lot of what like you liked about him and a lot of the concerns that I had about him, everything has kind of shown up so far. It's very, it's very fascinating. Like (laughs) I was worried about the jumper and I was worried about his ability to score efficiently. Well, he's shooting 38% and he has a 33% three point percentage. Uh, You really liked the way that he could be a secondary ball handler who defended um, and can really distribute out of pick and roll and uh, had a lot of potential to do uh, very nice role player things. He's done all of that so far as a 20-year-old rookie who is, again, starting for an NBA basketball team after not playing (laughs) at all last season. Like, that's the other crazy thing. Like, he didn't get to play last season, so he's behind the eight ball to begin with in terms of just being uh, in game shape from a thought standpoint, you know, where, like, you're... uh, You know, you developed over the course of a season, and then you take the summer off you're in a rhythm and then you come back and you get better like he had to take all the last year off this is it, it's totally different oh 100 percent. yeah there, there was an adjustment period and i thought he looked actually a little uneasy in the beginning like in preseason and then a little bit in, in terms of when he started off this year in his intermittent minutes i didn't think he looked that comfortable with the ball like he his handle didn't look as tight as i expected and then recently he really has looked a lot more comfortable in pick and roll like he's keeping guys in jail making pretty damn good decisions with the ball and that's what i always liked about him is on both ends of the court he's very smart very instinctual i thought a little bit in the the terms of the beginning of the season he was kind of going through the motions trying to learn igor's offense especially in preseason he's an instinctual player he's not someone who's going to pop in a workout like one-on-one but when you put him in a five-on-five setting he just makes plays and that's what his appeal is for me he's gonna have to shoot better of course off the catch he's looked confident though there's no hesitation we saw that even at the combine so that's great to see but i think the overall appeal of him in theory is that he makes a lot of sense next to devin booker yeah because he he can defend he can defend good yeah no i was gonna agree with you i thought you were done talking like like he defends he is a secondary <laughs> playmaker like all of that i think is exactly what you want next to devin booker that's if you're going to play devin at the two and i think there are going to be times where you want to play devin off the ball like you are going to want to still run devin off of screens because he's really good at coming off of screens and shooting off of movement um right now yep. phoenix doesn't really have anyone else to get them in and out of their offense unless they play d'anthony uh there so you can't really 
do that kind of stuff. I don't know if you're going to close with DeAnthony if your ultimate goal necessarily is to play Devin Booker as like point Devin, but that's fine. Like having a guy that you can trust for 25 to 30 minutes a night, um, maybe 25 a night, let's say, if he's coming off the bench as like a sixth man who you use next to Booker in spurts and then run the second unit. Like that's totally valuable first and foremost. And second, like it's just a perfect fit in so many ways, as you said. And they haven't been closing with DeAnthony. Like, he starts games and he starts the third quarter, but they usually close with point book and they go. We, I haven't mentioned TJ Warren. We haven't mentioned him. He's been awesome this year as a shooter. I mean, that's something we got to bring up is like his shooting improvement this year has been phenomenal. But they've been yeah. closing with him, a, a combination of him, McHale, and just really doing that point book thing. But I think in theory, DeAnthony makes a ton of sense. The defensive versatility, like, he switched on to Tatum two times in, in the recent matchup and he contested one shot, got a little bit of help from eight and a one. But like, you can see the versatility there. And I've been hammering this point throughout the entire process with booker and with melton like you don't need kemba walker next to devin booker i mean of course kemba is incredible but you want to fixate on defense because if you get a point guard that can't defend next to next to booker you're going to cap yourself too much defensively it's like the portland trailblazer situation with cj and dame those are great great players but how far can you really get with them two in the backcourt so i think the suns are smart here in fixating on melton's defense next to booker whatever you want to call them point guard i mean devin really is the point guard in and Melton's the secondary ball handler, whatever you want to call him. But I totally agree with your point about you just need a guy at times that can handle and initiate an offense and let Devin kind of score off the ball. And Melton can do that in ways that Mikhail can't, that Josh can't, that Trevor couldn't. So that that's the appeal with him. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned TJ Warren, and by TJ Warren you mean younger than Buddy Heald TJ Warren. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, TJ Warren now in his fifth NBA season. Uh, is younger than Buddy Heald. Shout out, shout out TJ Warren and shout out Buddy Heald for. Uh, I don't, I don't really think he hid the fact that he was twenty five do, or twenty six. It does seem like uh, an honest mistake in many ways, but hey, good, good for Buddy. Good for. I tweeted, I tweeted earlier this year about TJ Warren. Like, I'm waiting for the big reveal when we find out that Ray Allen's been Arya Starking TJ Warren <laughs> all season because, like, I don't know what the hell is up with this guy, but he doesn't miss shots off the catch anymore. He's hitting everything from three. And he's shooting 87% from the line, too. Like, this, I really think that, like, this is just a new skill. And by the way, like, a guy who has, like, the floater game that TJ has always had, like, those guys very clearly have incredible touch. It is impossible to have that kind of floater game without having the touch that he has. And this is a guy that over the last two years has shot, like, 76% from the foul line. And I I don't know, like, I I, I buy it to an extent that he, I don't think he's, like, a 44% three-point shooter just because very 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 few are but if he's like a 39 percent three-point shooter i wouldn't be like wildly shocked in terms of true talent i'm still pretty certain that he's ray allen but like it's, <laughs> it's pretty incredible like this whole this development is one of those you hit the nail on the head it's the touch it's the touch development that he's had darren fox has taken that leap a little bit this year i think you can attribute that a lot to touch like he he did have those runners he has good you know touch on the move and stuff like that and, and sometimes with shooters it all, that's all it takes you just over time you develop it it's actually a good question do we remember De'Aaron having good touch on floaters coming into the draft uh i do yeah i, I was just in, at that point in the draft it was more like i devalued floaters for being a inefficient shot but really as a proxy for touch I, I don't think i gave nearly enough credit for fox for that I, I mean i'm not saying his touch is like nuclear like it wasn't like trey young touch but i did right. i did remember it being pretty good like he had an intermediate game and he did show that ability right like i'm wondering if we should like start like considering that more when trying to figure out can this guy like really improve as a shooter long term and maybe maybe yep. and i'm not saying we don't consider it now but like maybe we should consider it more 
than what we do now. Very much agree. I think I, looking back at my own evaluations in the past, I think that's where a lot of get derailed is not fixing enough on just, I mean, shooting is fickle. Let's, let's be clear about that. It's a very fickle yeah. skill. And sometimes you just can't predict progressions there. It's, it, it's the most important skill, but it's also the hardest to predict when like looking at mechanics and all that stuff. But I do think you're, you're exactly right. Like we should probably give more emphasis on just general touch. That's something that Mike Schmitz, I think has done a pretty good job of in the past. Like he's very vocal about the touch aspect. Yeah. 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 Mike's great. I love Mike. So I'm at the G league showcase. <laughs> uh, talk to him for a little while. Mike's the best. Um, there you go. All right. Let's, let's, let's get an ad in before we move into this next portion because, uh, Oh boy. You and I, when we talk about DeAndre Ayton, we tend to talk for a while. Uh, <laughs> policy genius is, uh, you know, look, life insurance is a deeply unfun topic. We know this. Most people don't like thinking about dying and they definitely don't want to think about insurance when it comes to dying, but actually having life insurance feels great and getting that peace of mind doesn't need to be complicated. Policy genius is the easiest way to get life insurance in minutes. You can compare quotes from top insurers to find the coverage you need at a price you can afford. Uh, from there, you can apply online and the unbiased observers at policy genius will handle all the red tape, leaving you free to do the things you actually enjoy. If you've been intimidated or frustrated buy insurance in the past give policy genius a try just go to policygenius.com to get your quotes and apply in minutes you can do the whole thing on your phone right now policy genius the easy way to compare and buy life insurance all right deandre ayton the deandre ayton of it all uh I've been pretty clear that I've really, really liked what I've seen from DeAndre Ayton this year. I think he's actually been like very, very good. I understand that the defensive questions are still there, but at the end of the day, this is a 20-year-old dude who is averaging 16 points, 10 rebounds, 2.3 assists on a 61.5 true shooting percentage. And like, I'm willing to live with the growing pains on the defensive end at some point. <laughs> like, look, if he's going to do that at 20, I'm comfortable just being, you know what, take the year, learn and see what you can do. And then we'll evaluate you next year defensively. Yeah. And I want to be very clear again in my position because I've been on the podcast in a while. I think DeAndre Ayton is good. Like, yes. I'm not yeah, saying yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a bad player. <laughs> no, I, I, but, I wanted, yeah, you had DeAndre at like four on your board. Like you were not like you were not sitting here going DeAndre is bad. Yeah, and, and honestly, it was the other guys that I just bought more. You know what I mean? Like, it was Luca, and he's been phenomenal. Jaron's been great. Like, we're going to talk about the rest of the class. It was that more than it was DeAndre's bad. I think it's been kind of in vogue to crush Aiton as far as defense, especially. Like, every time he doesn't make a rotation, it gets on Twitter, and, like, people retweet yeah. it. It's like, oh, this guy sucks on defense. It's like, well, what do you expect? Like, you had a bunch of guys. I mean, he, this has been on his tape for like ever this right. is a thing like he's gonna have to improve this you can't expect him just to come into the league in 20 games and figure everything out like that doesn't happen that way so right and, i mean and even as someone exact- that was like i was high on his defense because i really liked the switchability defensively for a guy that was his size like even i called that out like look this guy is late rotating sometimes he just doesn't make the rotation you have to learn you have to hope that he'll figure it out 100 yeah, percent. and i think that he has improved over the season. Like these last couple of games, he's playing harder. And that's the thing about him is like when he plays hard, like he has great movement skills for his size. Like he can really make a difference when you're seven feet tall and you have that wingspan and you have the strength. Like you can make a difference on the defensive end. Like you're still going to fuck up at times on rotations and you're going to lapse and he doesn't react quickly to actions, but you can at least switch. Like he had a play against Giannis late in the game against Milwaukee where he legit switched onto him and contained a drive. Like he can do that stuff. You know what I mean? Like that's his values when the play's in front of him. He can actually do things. 
um, contesting, you know, guarding the perimeter. So I, I think that the hate has gone a little bit too far on him. He's been exactly what I expected. Outside of the passing, I think has been better than expected. What do you, how yeah. do you feel on that? Yeah, I agree. I think his passing has been a little bit better than expected. I, I think yeah. overall his offensive efficiency has been better than I expected. Like even on like post ups and stuff, like. I didn't expect him to come in and be as efficient as he is. Like I thought that like he would average, I think I said like 15 and 9, 15 and 10 this year because I I thought immediately he would be like an elite rebounder because he just has that instinctual ability plus he has the physical tools. Um like I, I figured that that would be true, but I figured it would be on like a 57 true shooting percentage because he still like he takes those terrible like mid-range jumpers and he still does that from time to time uh you know like it's it's something that will continue to be a part of his game where instead of trying to post hard he might be willing to like get on the left block face up and then go for go for like a 15 foot jumper instead of trying to like really pass it out and then reestablish position or something. Cause he knows he might not get the ball back. Uh, it's, yep. you know, he's done less of that than I expected though. I, I guess is what I would say. I, I, he's done a little bit less of that, like shitty mid range jumper than I thought. He's been more dominant as a position establishing big who just gets deep position consistently. Um, and he's just been more efficient offensively than what I figured he would be. Yeah. I think this also ties into the touch conversation we were having like him and Bobol, probably the two best touch guys I've seen for bigs. Like they're different. I think Bull's touch is just insane, especially because he can project it. He can kind of push it out to three where Aiden has flatter mechanics, but Aiden has tremendous touch. Yeah. And that's something like he siphons off so many easy points. And I'm not meaning that as an insult, like within the, the realm of play, like he'll just get advantage points in the game. Like he'll get like a deep catch and just hook shot you even like not, design plays though like he just will finish everything near the rim because his touch is so elite and he doesn't need to use possessions that way he doesn't have to be a focal point of the offense he can just kind of you look up and he is 24 and 18 or something like that that's what he does kind of routinely you don't really notice the impact necessarily but you look at the box score and it's like holy shit the guy has 24 points and he hasn't missed he's only missed like four shots because his touch is so good so i I do like the way igor's utilized him um mostly as like a dive guy we've seen a lot of his gravity as a roller going back to summer league and like we're like yeah he can do more but it's nice that igor is trying to build him up kind of from the bottom up on defense too, trying to get him just to start with the basics like it's funny that ayton's such a good rebounder because he doesn't box out consistently at all he just high points he's so dominant with his size that he can do that so there's just a lot of areas that he can improve sometimes he frustrates the living hell out of me defensively he'll like switch onto a guy and he'll be trying to retreat and like recover and block a shot and he won't even contest the shot and he's like right next to the ball it's like you just want to shake him (laughs) because the physical ability is there like he's there he's there on the play like he he has the movement skills to stick with these guys he just doesn't finish the play i don't know if that will come honestly i have no idea but that's going to be the difference between him him being a very good player and him being a potentially elite player yeah no i think that i agree with you on all of that um I am at the point where I am just like, like, would you say that he is a franchise player in your mind from what you've seen so far? Would you say that like, you believe this guy can, you know, be like the number one option on a good playoff team? Uh, I don't think I'm there just because if you're more of a traditional big, like he is, I mean, the passing helps a lot. I'm going to be very frank about that. But if you're more of like an interior big, like there's times where you can deny him the ball and he can't really impact the play. And that's why you look to defense a lot with, with bigs and say, can you be a franchise player? I think it starts on that end. Still have a lot of questions. So I'm not there, but I do think there's a lot to work with. Like it's in, it's within his realm of outcomes, but I'm not willing to necessarily say that at this juncture. Would you say that he will make an all NBA team? I thought you were going to ask me all star. I was like, yes, (laughs) all NBA. Um, 
Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, I, I guess if I had to bet on it, I'm very on the fence, as you can see. Like, probably? I don't know. It, it's very, that, that's like, a, that's a great question. Definitely All-Star. I think he's going to be a multi-time All-Star. Not sure about All-NBA. I would say he's going to be a multi-time All-NBA player. I am, I am there on that. Um, whether or not he is, like, like I, I don't know that he'll ever be as, like, wholly valuable as Nikola Jokic is now, necessarily. And, like, Jokic is like a pretty solid all NBA player this year, I would say. Right. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. Like he's, he definitely should be on the all NBA team. Like, I don't know if he'll be quite as valuable as that, but I think that at some point he will be on the all NBA team, um, be it like a second team, third team, something like that. Um, and I think he'll do it a couple times at least. Not unreasonable. I'm, I'm not quite there. I don't like, again, Jokic is an outlier as far as his offense. Like, I don't think Aiton's ever going to be that players good. players too. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. You're trying to capture like value and stuff like that. I get the argument for sure. You're you're definitely on the upper end of the Aiton discussion as far as being pro Aiton, which is fine. I, I think there's definitely outcomes for him to be that. I'm just not quite sold on it yet. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. Uh, DeAndre Ayton's definitely an investment, but Robinhood is an even bigger investment. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. They strive to let to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. It's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. It's simple and intuitive. There's a clear design with data presented in an easy-to-digest way. Uh, I can't emphasize this enough. I'm a big Robinhood fan just because... Uh, the user interface is amazing. It is so, so simple to operate. Uh, there are charts that are just so easy to understand. Uh, market data is just so uh, top-notch on Robinhood. Uh, and you can place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. Uh, the web platform also lets you view stock collections. So like the 100 most popular or entertainment stocks or social media or curated categories. Like if you uh, believe in companies that are run by female CEOs, uh, it's just a really, really terrific app. And again, I can't emphasize enough. There is, uh, you know, other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. Uh, you trade stocks and you keep all of the profits. Here is what I can tell you. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at GameTheory.Robinhood.com. That's GameTheory.Robinhood.com. And you will get that free stock, such as an Apple, Ford, or Sprint, to help you build that portfolio out. Let's talk about the rookies, man. The rookies have been really fun. It's been a great rookie class, I think. Uh, there, there's really nothing. Thing. There's not much to be disappointed about with this rookie class, right? I love this class. I, I think they've lived up to every bit of the expectations, and I think they're the best class over the last three, four years. And, and you know, 2017 got all the hype, but I think this is the real class right here. Yeah, and we loved this class coming into the draft too. Like we thought that yes, this we was did. a very, very strong draft. Um, like we we had guys like we were saying that you know we had DeAndre Ayton. I thought he was an All NBA player coming in. Luka Doncic, you and I both thought were All NBA was an All NBA player. Um, I thought Jaron Jackson like was an All Star. You thought he had potential certainly to be an All NBA player. Um, I was higher on Marvin Bagley. Like I still think that guy's probably going to make an All Star game at some point. You were super high on Trey Young, thinking he was going to be an All Star point guard. Um, I obviously thought Trey was going to be really, really good as well. There are just a lot of high upside guys, a lot of talented guys that you could trust to come in and play a role immediately. I'm just super enthused about this rookie class, and I guess that um, the place to start, like it's, 
I understand why Luca has gotten as much credit as he has gotten. He's unbelievable. He's incredible. But I guess I'm also at the point where I don't know what to add to the conversation about Luca <laughs> either, because you and I have talked about him at length and he's doing basically everything that we expected him to do. Like he's just this unbelievable pick and roll playmaker who is incredible, who can post smaller guards, who can uh, hit the cross corner pass with ease, who, who's a better shooter than what his percentage is at Real said. Like, yep. There's nothing new with Luca, I guess, for people who scouted him. Oh, 100%. And I think <laughs> I even get that response too when I tweet about him. People respond to me like, we already knew that. And I was like, yeah, I really have nothing else to say. Like, I, I made a point about, it's kind of funny, like, pre-draft people are like, oh, he has to rely on the step back, when the conversation should have been, holy shit, that, that dude has the step back and he's 19 years old. You know what I mean? Like, who has a step back three at 19? Yeah. It's incredible. And, like, that shot has been, that's the gold. That's gold in the modern game. You cannot take that shot away. We saw that against Houston down the stretch. You know, we got Capella on a switch, gave him this wicked step back move, hit the game winner there. It's just like, that's... It's just such an incredible weapon on top of everything else he already has. It's just crazy. Like, watching him last night, like, he had 32, and you're just like, this didn't even seem hard. Like, he's not even that – he's not even good good yet. You know what I mean? And he's still really good. Like, can you guess how many times he's finished a play on cuts this year? No, I can't. That's a good question. He, he, had, he has 13 total finished possessions on cuts. I, like, I was going to – even... Yeah, I was going to say, like, <laughs> honestly – five because the fact that you brought it up like made me think the number yes. was super low and like i've watched enough mavs games to know that they're not really utilizing him that way so like i thought it'd be like a crazy low number 13 is pretty crazy low though it, that's the thing is like a lot of what he's doing is hard like these step back dribble shots these pull-up shots he's, he's doing a lot on the ball and he can be optimized so much more off the ball like last night even like he had a couple given goes i think one with deandre jordan i think it was deandre i can't remember but like he can move off the ball and you can get points out of him that way the fact that he's doing this i'm not a huge fan of like looking at usage and then looking at true shooting percentages like the all-encompassing rookie stat but like the fact that he's been pretty efficient for a primary ball handler even though the shooting's dropped off a little bit lately and what he's doing is mostly hard i think that's really promising yeah like marvin bagley has been really really good in his role but marvin's role is easy right like he's just yes. running the floor getting offensive rebounds wreaking havoc uh, and being an athlete right like that stuff is what we knew marvin could do what luca is doing is stuff that we knew luca could do but it's just incredibly fucking hard like it's unbelievable <laughs> like <laughs> that this guy is a primary scorer on a team that like he is the guy on a team that is a potential playoff team in a western conference that is a joke in terms of how hard it is says a lot about where we're at with luca and the fact that he's already the guy on his team, and that was the case, like, five games in, you're like, holy shit, this is his team. Yeah. <laughs> like, how often does that happen on, like, a relatively competitive team? Like, I don't think the Mavericks are that good. Like, they're fine. But the fact that he's already the guy at 19 is just pretty crazy. Like, again, kind of run out of superlatives about him. He's, he's doing exactly what I expected him to do. And I was, like, crazy, crazy, unrealistically high on him. Like, I said he was going to be the best player in the league in five years before the draft. Like, so I'm probably about the highest you can possibly get on him. And he's kind of lived up to that, which is just insane. Yeah, like, I kind of got laughed at for saying that he would be 15-5-5 and as a rookie. Um, I wasn't quite sure how efficient it would be. And to be honest, I probably didn't think it would be as efficient as it's been. Um, but like 15, five and five as a rookie is a like ridiculously high standard. I feel like, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And he is right now at 19, seven and five. 
<laughs> like he is he's <laughs> been unbelievable and it's been efficient. It's been awesome. He is, uh, he's everything that we could have asked for offensively and more. Do you have any thoughts on his defense? Uh, I feel like, again, it's like easier to hide him just because he's big, but that he's just not been very good defensively. Yeah. I mean, he's not good. I mean, sometimes he doesn't even contest shots. And I'm like, you, yeah. you get you, with those kinds of guys, you just have to win on the margins. You have to win by contest being in the right spot. He's really smart though. He has made some really high level team defense plays and that's what you have to hope for with him. Cause he's not that quick guarding the ball. You hope for a little bit of athletic improvement, but the guy's not a, like, he's not a, a huge negative defensively because he's six, eight. He's smart. Like you, you do see him even contain guys on drives. Like, you know, everybody points to the LeBron block, but later in that game, like he had a recovery contest on LeBron where you contained him and then challenged him at the basket in space. So it is there. Again, like we talked about pre-draft, a lot of this is also tied to athletic improvement. And I do think there is, I don't know if it's sizable as far as what his potential is athletically, but I do think he's going to get more athletic and that's only going to help him. Okay. So let's talk about Jaron Jackson. I'll be honest with you. I think that the hype has gone like a little too far with Jaron. Not, not a lot too far, just a little bit too far. Like I've seen people say that they would take him over Luca. And I think that that's like insane. That's totally crazy to me. Um, I would still not take him over Deandre based off of what we've seen so far. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, like I said, your position on Deandre is valid and it's well-established. So I don't think Deandre's done anything to negate that thus far. Right. Um, By the way, like I don't don't think Jaron's done anything like out of the question of what we've seen so far either. Right. Like, He's very, very good. He can step away and shoot threes at a reasonable clip already. And he's a really good shot blocker. Like, these these are things that we knew. Absolutely. And I, I do I agree with you. And this is, like, the first negative thing I've ever said about Jaron. But I do think he's getting maybe overhyped to an extent. Like, you see, like, generational defender, like, one of the best defenders of all time. I, I'm not that high on his defense. I do think that at times he looks a little bit slower with his hip turn. Like, he, he doesn't have, like, the most powerful hips. So you don't see him move with an incredible speed that you see some of these all-time defenders do like I don't think he's KG um, no, that's no, not really a, yeah. that's not that's not really a knock though. Like you know what I mean? Like I still think the guy's an All NBA defender. I I said before the draft he was going to be the Defensive Player of the Year at some point. Still believe that. Yeah, he's he's lived up to the hype and he's 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 honestly exceeded it for me a little bit offensively just because I, I, I was pretty high on his ability, his coordination to like attack the basket and his dribbling ability, and that has really popped. I mean, yeah. he can legit he can go ninety four feet with the ball, make dribble moves. Like he gave someone an in and out dribble on the baseline. I, I think it might have been Willie Cauley Stein in that game on the baseline and then had this reverse layup he's just super fluid man like, i don't think he's he's not anthony davis offensively people got to get off that too but he can do stuff he can do shit with the ball like he's effective there and the other thing that he has done better than what i thought he would offensively is finish through contact that was something that he struggled with last year at michigan state and he has been much better at finishing through contact this year than what I thought he would be uh, finishing around the basket as well. Just like general little, little small stuff. Like he's just been much, much better at uh, his core strength looks a lot better, I guess is the best way to put it. And his touch looks great. Like that left hand yeah. and then length extension he gets, like you can't really block his shot and that's, he's not very fast. Like he's pretty fast for his size, of course, but like relative to some elite level offensive bigs, like he doesn't get a ton of push off the floor. He's not very explosive, but when he extends with his left, he just can't block that shot, and he's got great touch on that. So that's another thing that really hit home with his process so far. I think that's probably the biggest surprise for me is like his ability to finish with touch at high speeds is pretty impressive. So the two things that we were worried about pre-draft have cropped up, though. Uh, You... You weren't as worried about the fouling issue, right? I wasn't long-term, no, but that yeah. definitely has cropped up. <laughs> yeah, that that has continued to be an issue for him in Memphis. Um, 
it's gone like you can look back through history and find examples of this being something that like continues to be a problem like i would say carl town still struggles with fouls a little bit too often um and carl towns by the way was a guy that not was not quite the prospect jaron jackson was in space defensively but was a player who most people expected to be a plus defender in college based off of like block rates and the ability to contest inside and that hasn't necessarily translated um Jaron is already a better defender than what Carl Towns is because he's able to guard in space. Uh, he is just a little bit better at rotating from the weak side. Oh, he's a lot better at rotating over from the weak side <laughs> and actually contesting. I don't know why I said a little bit. Um, he's a lot better at that. But he does have that same like use the body, bring the arms down, foul kind of technique that Towns does. And then second, um, he's only averaging 4.9 defensive rebounds per 36 minutes. That And like yep. I get that he plays with Marc Gasol, but like Marc Gasol is not this wild defensive rebounder either. Like he is big and there is a bit of siphoning there, I think, in terms of the pure numbers, but I am still not impressed with Jaron Jackson's defensive rebounding. I think that's the weakness right there. And that was the weakness for me before the draft is like, he's not the most explosive leaper. And that, I think that really hinders him on the glass. Like he's got more of an athletic build than like a really girth build that he can really hold position at a high level. So those two things in, in conjunction, I think limit his potential on that end. That's going to be something I think you have to build around. Like he's eventually going to play minutes at the five. You need to scheme that and get into can really crash down in defensive rebound. I tend to underrate, I guess devalue rebounding in the draft. Like I don't really consider it like a high value skill. Yeah. So that's something I over, I, I didn't really overlook, but I just didn't really care that much that he wasn't a great rebounder, but it's definitely, definitely an issue for him. And I think that as for the technique, he was terrible technique wise, especially in the beginning of the season. Like he was making, I was watching him play. I was like, what the fuck, man? Like, what are you doing? Like yeah. he was just le- leaning into guys reaching. I think that's going to be correctable over time. He's just too smart. And we have to remind people like, this is the youngest player in the league. Like, <laughs> Yeah, like the fact that he's already got these instincts, and you you can expect a little bit of growing pains when a guy. I don't think I don't think he's raw, but like there are some parts of his game mentally that are still coming into play, and he's super super young. Yeah, I think by the way, like I'm still in. Jaron Jackson is going to be an all star level <laughs> player. Like he's going to be amazing. He's going to be awesome. I'm super excited to watch him grow in Memphis. But like the offensive creation has been there. I'm super excited about that. Uh, the ability to finish through contact has been great. The shooting has been honestly like a little bit worse than what I think. I think his level as a shooter is higher than 34% from three. Um, I would assume you agree with that, right? Yeah. And that's another thing that has improved. I think as the season's progressed, like he started off really, really poor um, from three. And I think he's gotten a little better there. Yeah. So I mean, I'm in on all that. Um, just like, it's really hard to be a center and be like an all NBA center. If you have just like even the smallest concern points, right? Um, the fact that he's not like a wild athlete, like KG, like Anthony Davis, like guys like that is just like somewhat concerning in terms of his overall upside. The fact that he is not a great defensive rebounder is a little bit concerning. And the fact that the fouling keeps cropping up is a little bit concerning, but like it's the difference between, you know, franchise, all superstar player and all-star and like if he's an all-star this is a win for memphis yeah absolutely and i I don't think he has like the scoring upside to be like a truly like franchise center like he he can he can get you baskets but that's mostly like picking pops attacking guys off the dribble like if you throw him he's been much better in the post i think but those are a lot of on duck-ins like he really does a good job running the floor in transition and getting these deep seals um but i I never see him i don't think he's a good enough decision maker to run your offense through like he's not Jokic, of course like he's not that kind of player so i think that caps his upside a little bit on that end too it's like i don't ever see him becoming like this guy like a fulcrum of an offense yeah, for sure. I think that that's totally fair. Negative assist to turnover ratio. Um, DeAndre Ayton, 
I believe has a positive assist to turnover ratio, which again is a little bit surprising to me. Um, but yeah, like I think that they're going to be, that's going to be a fun debate over the course of the next few years, I think, is DeAndre versus Jaron Jackson. Agreed. And it's one that probably doesn't get enough play. I mean, a lot of like, draft Twitter is very, very pro Jaron. A lot of other sources are still like very pro Aiton, which is fine. I, I, we're not going to know the answers to this right now. Like I would, of course, still take Jaron because I was pre, I was on Jaron pre-draft as higher than Aiton, so there's no reason to change that stance. But we don't have enough information yet. Like if you were higher on Aiton, I don't see really moving off that quite yet until we get more information yeah like i've seen people say like they would take wendell carter over Aiton, and i'm sitting here going crazy like oh i i would do that too by the way yeah you're (laughs) you were you were on this (laughs) pre-draft i was were you would you have taken wendell over Aiton? yep and that's uh, again a very pro wendell who uh, who honestly it's kind of funny that uh, at the beginning of the season people were trashing the suns like Aiton has a terrible situation you know what has the worst situation for any rookie oh 100 wendell carter it's it's fucking wendell carter dude like it's I can't watch that team. I, I know you had Ricky on, who was fantastic. He went on this huge filibuster. I am so frustrated with that team. Well, like, especially since Boylan took over, because if you watch Wendell Carter, like, early in the season, he was pretty comfortable, like, being able to step out and shoot a little bit. He's not even looking at the basket right now, and I have to imagine that that's Jim Boylan telling him, you're not shooting anymore. Like, if you draft Wendell Carter and you don't have him shoot threes, what are you doing? Like, he, that is his offensive value. He's not like an interior post scorer. Like, there was a point in the season where he was like the first percentile <laughs> for post scoring. Like, he's not that explosive in there. He's not Aiton. You know what I mean? Like, you have to use him in space. Like, you have to use him like the Celtics used Horford for a lazy comparison. Like, that's the kind of player he is. If you're not going to allow him to shoot early in his career, like attack closeouts, really utilize his passing on dribble handoffs. And if he's not going to be put in a position to succeed and like encouraged to do these things, like what are you doing yeah yeah jim boylan guys i I think that this might be a hot take but jim boylan might not be good at his (laughs) job i know this is crazy right um by the way deandre ayton eight points higher true shooting percentage higher assist rate for deandre ayton which is the craziest thing in the world to me uh wendell can really pass the ball i think that with lowry marking him back that assist number is going to go up too um if you watch even like a like the couple of games that marketing you said that you don't like to watch them have you watched them since marketing has come back oh i have yes yeah like they those two actually have already developed a little bit of a symbiosis together big to big passing which is really nice um yeah like wendell's gonna be good i, I thought wendell was a, start, a very good quality starting center in the draft and i consider i continue to think that I mean, I, I think Wendell's great. Like, I, I think it's again his situation is depreciating his value some. For also, sure. he is he's he's not being he's not as efficient clearly as eight, and he doesn't have that kind of touch. He doesn't have that kind of dominant size. His defense has been absolutely spectacular for a rookie. Like his oh, rim yes. protection, that's true. Like yep. the last the last time I checked his rim protection numbers, he was like forty eight percent at the rim. Mm-hmm. Like it, that is insane for a rookie. I mean, the next highest was like. Jaron Jackson at 59 or Bagley was like high 50s or something like that. Like, that's insane. Like, he, his rotations have been great. Um, he's, he's got more switchability than I thought, and I was a little bit higher on his movement skills than most. Um, I'm, I'm not saying he's like I'm this. still not quite as high on that as you are. Yeah, I, I am. I'm getting to that point. Like, he can hang close enough to use his length, and that's something that his length is really powerful. Like, yeah. He, if you don't have length as a big, it's really hard to be a space defender because you're probably not going to be able to stay close enough to these guys to contest. He has that ability. I'm just super high on his IQ, but yeah, he has to get more efficient, and I think he will if he's allowed to shoot threes, and that is the way he's utilized on offense when he has some gravity over time. I love his mechanics. I think he's going to get there. He just has to be empowered to do that. Yeah, plus six wingspan on Carter at six foot. Yep. Six ten and a half, I would say. Like something in that range with shoes. So, um, 
Yeah, I mean, like Wendell's really good. Like, I don't. I'm not sitting here like going <laughs> crazy, like trashing the dude. Uh, let's get to the point guards because you were very, very in on Trey Young pre-draft. Um, if I remember correctly, you were not like wild high on Shea, were you? I was not wild high. He, I was more like. This is kind of the role I imagine for Shea. We can get into him more, but this is kind of more what I saw. I didn't quite see the upside with him. Yeah. Um, let's start with Trey. Well, here, let's start with this question. Which one would you take long-term right now? Trey. Okay. Um, I was Trey pre-draft. I had them super close, though. I had, think I had like Trey 8 and him 9 or something like that. Um, I think I would flip that now. But it's it's still very close. Like the only thing that Trey is, uh, I shouldn't say the only thing. Uh, the passing with Trey has really, really translated. He is an incredible open floor passer. You and I both thought that that was his best skill coming into the draft. Correct? Yes, I think I phrased it. Passing is his best skill, but shooting is his most important. Yes, and he is shooting a robust. Oh God, twenty five percent from three. It's not good. And I've watched basically every Trey game this season. Like it's. I'm encouraged by a lot of what I see. I think he's already a top 10 passer in the league. Like that guy has incredible anticipation in pick and roll. Like it's all the craft, all the little, like he just knows where to get to his spots. He's really underrated as far as his physicality. You don't see it because he's 6'2", but that guy, like he seeks contact. He's incredible at drawing bullshit fouls, which I love. Like he's really good at like rearing his head back and stuff like that. And the passing has been incredible. The handle's great. He gets to the rim more than I think a lot of people gave him credit for just because people guard him like he is a high-level shooter. And that's yeah. really important. Yeah, it is. That's a really not, great point. He's not a high-level shooter right now. Like like you said, he's a very low-level shooter. He's probably the, le- like the most devastating, least impactful shooter in the league with how many he takes. But people aren't guarding him that way. They're sticking with him off the ball. They press up on him on the ball, and he beats those guys. He did in college. He has underrated horizontal burst. We see the touch at the rim. Like He's not like crazy finishing number. He's like 45th percentile right now around the basket in the half court. But you see the touch he has on these runners, which are excellent. I, I think there's a lot to work with here. It's just it's all predicated on the shot. Like if he's going to be the worst pull-up shooter in the league, yeah, like he's not going to be the kind of player that I thought he could be. But I think we're still a little early in the process to like write off his shooting. Like if he gets, I mean, it is troubling though <laughs> when you put it in concert with the way he finished his season last year with with the shooting in the shooting department. Like if he doesn't get to that level where he's like a 36, 37 percent shooter and people really guard him, like if people stop stop guarding him and he doesn't make shots, that's really devastating. Yeah. Uh, so far, uh, over. So if you take out November, December, January, and go with February and March of last year, and then you add in what he's done so far this season. So basically, you know, the last eleven months of Trey Young's shooting, he is shooting sixty nine for two seventy two, which is a robust twenty five point four percent from three. Uh, Just kill me now. And that is that is a pretty big sample at this stage um you know having said that he was a 40 percent three-point shooter over uh his what previous how many threes did he take last year i'm like doing math like on the fly right now (laughs) um apologies but uh for the previous 223s that he took he was like at 41 percent so 25 percent over 272 shot sample 41 percent over a 220 shot sample i'm guessing he's pretty streaky shooter guys that might be accurate um he is just it's it's so hard to tell what he's going to be as a shooter i really don't know what how to even how to even gauge this yet yep and if he doesn't shoot 
it's a huge problem because he's a defensive liability. And if he doesn't, if he's not an otherworldly offensive player at his size, then it's going to be an issue long term as far as his ceiling. I'm still going to stick with him because I do. I see so much that's potentially elite in his game offensively. It's just the shooting, man. It, it's got to come around. Uh, I think there's two. That that's one of the two clear knocks on Trey. The other that kind of ties into that is how is his body going to hold up over the course of a season? Like, can he play night in mm-hmm. and night out? I haven't seen a lot of issues there as far as like him wearing down. Like some of the effort stuff he does on defense, he just can't get away with shit like that. But I don't really see it as like his body's wearing down. Like he's still getting to the rim. He's still getting by guys. We'll see what he's doing in you know March or something like that. But right now, I think those are the two clear knocks. Like if you. Of course, with defense, too, but we all knew about the defense. <laughs> but if, if he doesn't shoot, if, if this is who he is, I, I think that's too extreme. I don't think he's a 25% three-point shooter, but I think your point about streakiness is very on point. If he's a streak shooter, that is an issue, too. If he's not like a knockdown kind of high-gravity 36 37% shooter, really does a lot to his upside. Yeah, it was always – that's this is the way it's been in high school. Like, I tried to tell people this, and they, like – they like kind of came back at me saying that it wasn't true or like there was a reporter in Oklahoma who was like, yeah, I watched him play in high school and he, uh, you know, he was just an incredible scorer. And I was like, no, he's like basically every level. He's been a pretty streaky shooter. Like if you look at the numbers, um, it's basically played out. Like it's not, it's not a bad thing. Just, who he is it it's kind of a bad thing i guess but like it's just who he is at this stage and he needs to uh you know you mentioned the body and how it holds up over the course of the next uh over the course of a full season i'm going to be interested just from a development perspective to see how his body develops because is i've talked about a lot of times on this podcast i think that just core strength and strength in general is such an underrated part of shooting that yep like how his body develops, I think is going to play a critical role in how he develops as a shooter. I think that's a hundred percent spot on. And I do think that a lot of his shooting is via his mechanics, like how he gets energy transference. That's why he can shoot from so deep. People are like, Oh, he's not very strong. How can he shoot from that deep? It's through his mechanics, especially his lower body. Right. But I do think that strength input, like you noted, is probably an underrated component here. That's why I'm very curious to see what he looks like next season when he has an off season to really get in the weight room. Cause they're obviously not making the playoffs. You know, if you have five, months off to really you know enhance your body enhance your core strength does that impact his shooting yeah i think that it might let's find out uh shay alexander i think is the last one we're going to talk about and then i'll just kind of open the floor to you on guys that have impressed um shay has been very fun i would say uh again i think that the hype is going like slightly around the bend like people think he's gonna be like a super like I get the impression that like some people think he's like going to be a potential like superstar point guard. Do you get that? I do get that impression. Yeah. And I'm not quite there yet. Like I think he's going to be really, really good. And I think that like if you made me bet on him making an all-star game, I would say yes. But where, I mean, where do you fall on this? I think he's a very good basketball player. He was the guy in the draft that I knew I was going to be too low on. I said that pre-draft. I was like, this is the guy. If I'm going to miss on anybody, it's him because he's super fucking smart. He has high-level instincts, and he has you know the physical traits. He meets the thresholds for skill, all of that stuff. It just comes down to the pull-up jumper, frankly. But I think when you, when you analyze Shea, you have to take into account role. It's not like he's playing the point guard position for the Clippers, who play a motion-type scheme where they, they have their wings via Gallinari and Tobias Harris initiate their offense a lot of the time. Like yep. Shea's in the corner a lot. Like He's spotting up from the corner. He's taking high-value shots off the we haven't really gotten a chance to see like any kind of dynamic off the dribble game like it says of course like he's shooting very well on those but if you watch him play like a lot of those are deep catches where he gets into the paint and he just shoots over the top of guys which is really valuable i think that's 
the most surprising thing for me is like he's physical. Like he'll give you a shoulder drop for smaller guards. He'll just shoot right over the top. But those aren't really like high value shots as far as like he, he doesn't have anything really above the break off the dribble right now from three. I value that shot more for point guards, probably more than I should. But if you're just breaking down Shea's game, he's just really fucking good at basketball, man. Yeah, he really is. That's just a accurate statement uh yeah like they have him fill up from the corner uh up toward the wing pretty regularly uh within the just general scheme of their offense and getting him the ball on the move and and allowing him to run like pick and roll after he gets the ball on the move like that i think is huge for him because he's not a guy like he has good burst but it's not like elite burst you know and i think that yep being able to scheme him and be be smart about the way you get him the ball and the situations you get him the ball in is critical to his development long term um one thing that's worth noting here is like he's been very unlucky in transition i think this year um he's only in the 14th percentile in terms of points per possession he actually is generating like a reasonable amount of them so i think that's gonna just straight up revert at some point uh you look at the catch and shoot numbers 75th percentile like you said look at the jumper off the dribble he's taking 114 jumpers off the dribble so he's taking like three a game and is in the 73rd percentile almost at a point per possession on those shots which is again i think a pretty big surprise but if you look at uh how he's getting those shots the difference between his field goal percentage is an effective field goal percentage is under 1%. So he's shooting 47.4% on field goal percent overall, yep. uh, 48.2 on effective field goal percentage. So all of them are coming in the mid range. Like it's, he's made one, three uh, off the dribble above the, or one off the dribble three this season, if I remember correctly. So um, it just kind of is what it is. You know, it's, it's fine. Like he, might figure it out he might not but that was the question coming in and i don't know that he's answered it yeah and i think that actual make was a heave from like near half court so i actually went over those possessions because i was like i, I, I want to see it i just want to see him if we talk about all these rookies and who's in the best situation i think that shea has a legitimate argument here for how they're utilizing him doc has been really really good this year and he's being put in positions to succeed and i'm not trying to slight shea for that at all he's been incredible in his role mm-hmm. especially for a rookie but i want to see i don't think he could do what trey young's doing right now and I'm not just talking about usage. I'm, I'm talking about style of play and like how you're guarded at being the fulcrum of an offense. Like Shea is not that right now. And I think that he's getting treated like that from a lot of people, especially on Twitter. Like, oh, my God, he looks like this next generational kind of point guard. It's like he's not really even playing that role right now. <laughs> he's more of a secondary ball handler. Like if he it's similar to De'Aaron Fox, like they're not similar players, but it all comes down to that pull up. Like Fox has hit that pull up this year from three and it's really just completely changed his game. I mean, there's of course other improvements Fox has made. He looks like a monster, but if Shea gets that and he gets a little bit stronger, then he's going to be really good. He's going to be an all-star caliber point guard. But I think that he's being given that right now when that hasn't been what he's shown on tape. Anyone else that you want to point out from this rookie class? I just want to get your thoughts on two guys. Um, You're a little higher on Colin Sexton, I think, than a lot of people I know. What is your take on his game so far? It's been, I would say, the positive of what I thought he could be. Um, The fact that he is shooting 40% from three, I think, is like a little bit unsustainable, to be honest. But if you look at the numbers since Tyloo left, uh, they're actually like really, really good. Um, there, there's just a lot to be excited about there. Um, I'm pulling them up right now. Uh, since Ty Lue departed, he is at 15.8 points per game on 44% from the field, 43% from three, 85% from the line. Um, the one problem that I have and continue to have with this is that a lot of his shit comes from the mid range. 
And like I think that he's taking more off the dribble jumpers in the mid-range than any other player in the entire NBA right now. That scares me a lot going forward. Um, but yeah. the fact that like he's been I don't want to I don't know if I want to say efficient, but like that he's even gotten by at a reasonable clip doing that. Like the fact that uh, I don't know, like he hasn't been efficient. Like he's been at like 50 percent true shooting percentage since Ty Lue left. But like it hasn't been a disaster, I guess, him doing that. And that at least gives me like a little bit of excitement going forward <laughs> a little bit. Um I don't know that like he's going to be a guy that you win a ton of games with. Uh, he still really can't pass, <laughs> but he can get separation. If he, if he starts figuring out a way to get separation going toward the basket um, and utilizing his speed to get out on the break a little bit more than what they do now, I think that he can be like a good starting point guard. Yeah, honestly, I think that's fair. I It's weird because he, he looks exactly like what I expected, but he's been more effective, like you said, on those pull-up mid-range shots. Yeah. When you watch him play... It's kind of like it's kind of like the Dennis Smith effect to me a little bit. There's just no fluidity in like how he moves on the floor as yeah. far as like how he sees the floor. You know what I mean? Like he's it's very like tunnel, not necessarily tunnel vision, but kind of he plays in a tunnel. Like it, when he well, it disrupts like, the offense. It seems like whenever he has the ball, it's it's crazy because he's very purposeful in how he gets his shots. But like if you ask him to play outside that sphere, like he's had a lot of advantage situations like he'll get an offensive rebound and just immediately go towards the rim like those instincts are there like he and he finishes there but like when you put him in in a holistic environment with you know nine other players it just never seems like there's any kind of fluidity to his game and that's kind of my issue with him as a prospect and I don't think he's the level of athlete that Dennis Smith is so it's like that kind of player it's going to be very very interesting because we have a couple test cases now to see how they develop as passers because I very much agree with you he's if you watch him compared to like Trey and Shea, not really fair to <laughs> compare those guys necessarily in the passing department, but it's like they're light, light years ahead as far as making reads on the floor. Yeah, and the other problem is that he's been like kind of a disaster finishing around the basket on drives too. Yeah. Um, uh, con- concerning. I-, I will just fully admit. like a li- The numbers are fine, but the like eye test is a little bit concerning. I agree with you. I, and yeah, again, I was pretty low. I was more like outlier low. I had him at like 20 in the draft. So I was yeah. more suspect just because I, I don't like to gamble on initiators anymore who don't meet a certain confidence level if they're that size. But other guy I want to get your thoughts on Mo Bamba has been kind of interesting. People like forgot about this guy. I know he's playing in Orlando and he's, he's someone who like you don't really have to watch for like the next two years. Almost. I feel that way. Like it's more of a ceiling play, but what are your thoughts on him so far? Well, the weird thing is that he's been overshadowed by Vucevic. So like, yes, I, I feel like we haven't really gotten a chance to see him in a ton of like interesting scenarios and in a lot of like interesting lineups even you know what i mean like he's playing a ton like next to aaron gordon at the four which is good but then they'll surround him with jaron grant who is not a shooter jonathan simmons who's not a shooter gordon isn't a guy that you're going to trust so like it's 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 lineups that i don't want to say they don't make sense but they just aren't super funky so like i'm not entirely sure what to make of all of him yet like the flashes that he shows at times the the fact that like he's already hitting threes at like an okay clip 33 percent for a rookie is fine um especially for one who's seven feet tall and blocks as many shots as he does the rim protection has been okay i would say probably not uh as like outlier good as what i think people were hoping for rebounding's probably been a little bit better 
than what I thought it would be, honestly. Um, maybe we did like underrate the fact that he is like he was a guy who just kind of ate up rebounds in college just due to his length, and he's continuing yep. to do that in the NBA. Um, it's it's just he's a very he's in one of the most difficult situations to judge i think because they're in that weird mode where they're like not competing but they are competing and every time that he steps on the floor because vucevic steps off the floor and so much of their offense god love them is tied to nikola vucevic that like the offense just completely falls off a cliff every time that vucevic is off the floor so like they don't really have like a general semblance of what they're what they're doing on that end. So I don't know how to evaluate him on that end. Yeah, I totally agree. I think a lot of his issues, again, are strength related and you're going to see how that progresses over the next couple of years. I think from a draft ranking standpoint, if you were lower on Bamba, that was probably the best approach just because nobody's going to give a shit in three or four years if he turns out to be really great. You know what I mean? He's like that kind of player where I don't think he's going to be super effective the next two years or three years. It's all about physical development and his upside. So yeah, I, I, I've been kind of, I don't know if I want to say impressed with him. He's kind of as is. It's just going to come down to in like two or three years. Like, okay, question for you real quick. If you were re-ranking the draft, would he be in the same tier as Jaron Jackson? No, okay. I do not think he would be. Um, yeah, no, I don't think he would be. And I, I'd bomb at like five or six, if I remember correctly, something in that range. Um, I had him over Wendell Carter, and I don't know that I would have him over Wendell Carter anymore. Awesome. That was going to be my next question. So I'm just kind of gauging that. And, and the Mavericks came out and said that they would have taken Wendell Carter over Bamba at five. I think they said something to that effect if Luca, if they had made that Luca trade. It's kind of curious to gauge all like how these teams value these bigs and stuff like that. But I don't think there's any – I'm not concerned about Mo Bamba necessarily. Like, I had my druthers about him or I had my reservations about him pre-draft. And they've kind of just played out as you would expect, right? Yeah, no, I think that if you were worried about him pre-draft, you're worried about him now. If you you know, thought he had the upside pre-draft, you probably still believe that because he hasn't just been in a competent environment yet. Um, and by like competent, like it's not like Orlando has been bad this year. It's just they haven't – played him in lineups that make a crazy amount of sense yet for what his skill set is and that's not their fault it's just a reality of what their roster construction is 100 percent, yeah if you want to go through just a couple more guys really quick fashion i mean i think we're both high on miles bridges i think he's kind of getting forgotten about in charlotte coming off the bench he's been i think he's gonna be a really effective player he's been awesome yes like you, you see him on highlights because he has these ridiculous dunks and then I just think he's going to be such a good fit in the modern NBA, and he's kind of someone who's getting slept on a little bit too much, I think. Yes, he's been everything that we hope for. I had him at eight pre-draft. You probably had him same area, right? At eight. Did you? <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah, I, th- I think he was an awesome get for them. I think that I named him, like, one of my, like, favorite picks of the draft after the draft. That, that just continues. And another one of those. Exactly right. Yeah, and another one of those guys for me is Kevin Herter. I've been I really impressed with him. I knew that's where you were going well, next. I knew it. I love that guy, man. Like he's he's good. Like I, I I think he's better than Torian Prince right now. Like he's that I would good. Not say like that, he but his, I understand his passing why you do. is. I just think he's he's such a smarter player. Like they need Torian Prince's like creation. It's funny that we talked about this on the prospects pod. People consider Torian Prince like a three and D guy. He's more of like a shot maker, like off the dribble. Like yeah. that's what his game is for the Hawks. Like it's just kind of curious that that played out that, that way. But Herder's passing is really translated, especially in secondary fashion. We hit on this. Like he can come off a, uh like a a dribble handoff or like a curl and hit that over the top pass he has skip pass ability we're starting to see the shooting improve over time he has that off movement shooting ability his defense is at his size i think it hasn't been good but i don't think it's been a disaster like i think there's some promising aspects to his defensive game doesn't have the ideal length of course but i I think he was he's a home run pick for the hawks like i don't see him as like an all-star caliber player but i think he's going to be a quality starter 
Yeah, I think that's a good pick. Yeah, I think that he was a good pick for the Hawks. Like, I don't, I don't really have anything else other than that. Like, I think he was just a good pick. <laughs> um, like Aaron Holiday, I really like Aaron Holiday so far. Okay, he's been really good for Indiana. He just comes in and he steadies the ship a little bit, and he, he's like also just not even shooting well so far. And he's still making an impact by defending, still making an impact by distributing the ball well and getting them in and out of their sets whenever he has to. It's he's been solid in the limited minutes that he's played yeah he's honestly one of the few rookies where i haven't really seen any of him when i watched indiana he hasn't played so i'm gonna get to his tape definitely more in depth some of these guys are really like time lord starting to get minutes for the celtics he's he's been pretty good honestly defensive like his length yeah. really matters he, he's a total asshole with his length like you saw that against the suns like he had like four or five blocks like he really just changes plays uh landry Shamet is another guy his shooting has been phenomenal this year i mean yeah. he's like what's it 45 percent or something on high volume so we knew he could do that i had him as a late first guy can, can, can we talk about people like going crazy about mitchell robinson oh sure yeah take the floor because i know you're a little bit more suspect than robinson <laughs> mitchell robinson is like you would think that like yeah he's playing like limited minutes and everything he's played under 500 minutes so far um but like you would think that like even his per minute numbers are just bananas given like what people talk about with him he's ever 9.8 points and 8.2 rebounds per 36 minutes like he's fine He's been, he looks like a good rotation center and he was a great pick for them early in the second round. But like, I don't even think, like, I think he's their backup center of the future. I don't think he is like a starting quality center long term. I'm a little higher. I, I do think he has starter upside. Um, I'm, I'm just not sure. He's another one of those guys who just fouls like a ridiculous amount. It's hard to evaluate him right now just because technically it's so far away. And that's, of course, a lot of the concern with him is like, just does he get it on the floor? But his ability to challenge shots on the perimeter, we saw this in summer league. It's it's real. Like I don't know if I mm-hmm. buy his lateral lateral quickness as far as like switching and stuff like that, but his ability to cover ground is like one of the most impressive skills I've seen from a biggest size in a while. Like he can really close out all the way across the floor and block shots. So I think there's there's definitely something there. His role is very clear as far as a pick and dive guy. He's a, he's a great lob catch finisher. I think there's an easy avenue for him to have starter value. I just don't, haven't seen enough of his tape yet to really buy the instincts and the intelligence. Among players who have played at least 300 minutes this year, he is the league leader <laughs> in pa- fouls per minute. I knew you were going there. <laughs> it's it's crazy when you watch him. Like he fouls so much. He's just very clumsy out on the floor. Like yes, yes. It's like all limbs and explosiveness, and he doesn't know where it's all going. Absolutely, I, I totally agree with that. Anybody else from the second round? Like I I haven't seen Karuks yet for the Nets, and he's been getting some sterling reports from a lot of people. Have you seen any, any of him? Uh, not enough to like really really talk about him in depth. Um, yeah, like I, I know, I know that people are excited about him. Shout out M grads. M grads is jumping in on the, um, <laughs> the Rodion Kuroks, uh, bandwagon for his white European pick. Uh, I, I don't, I don't really have, I, I, I don't have strong enough takes on him to give them. And I don't want to like, you know, make it so that like sure. Nets fans come and yell at me because I don't want that in my life. Yeah. I just wanted to bring him up without actually saying anything bad because I haven't <laughs> seen, I haven't seen him play at all, but he's someone who has impressed, uh, just really quick last point for me on the rookies. Just going to mention Marvin Bagley. You talked a little bit about him, but uh, he's been he's been very productive and efficient. I think that he gets killed a little bit too much. Like that was a pre-draft thing. I think he's a really good player who can make an all-star team potentially multiple times. Like he's very good at what he does. Um, I think it's a learning point too. Like he his instincts aren't good defensively in my opinion, although they've been better than I expected from Duke. Like he's made progression there, but that dude just plays really hard. Yeah. <laughs> like you could if you're a super athlete and you play really hard, like. Y- 
you're not a total minus on that end. Like, I have questions still about does he contribute to winning at the highest levels. All that stuff is still there. But I think he's been effective. And, and Kings fans get – and the Kings get killed for passing on Luka. Like, I, I think they're probably – unfairly criticized to the extent it's, it's gotten, um, especially recently. Well, I don't think they're unfairly criticized. Like, I don't think the Kings got unfairly criticized for passing on Luka. It was an absurd decision at the time, and it has <laughs> borne out that way. But it's not Marvin's fault that it's borne out that way. Like, he's played as well as you could possibly expect him to play. He's been really, really good, uh, I think, when he's been on the floor. It's just that, like, Luka is better in every way like it's i don't i don't know i love marvin bagley i don't want to i don't want to talk shit about marvin bagley <laughs> like i think marvin like you look at what john collins's progression was another guy who's like uh, i think paul flannery he wrote about john collins uh earlier this week and he he put it best like john collins doesn't have like a uh like a great skill right like he doesn't have that like one standout like go-to move his move is just being active and being athletic and I think that when we look up next season, Marvin Bagley is going to be doing what John Collins is doing now, averaging like 19 and 10 a game. Would not shock me at all. And by my comment I'm, for like being unfairly criticized, I meant mostly relative to the Suns and the Hawks. Like people don't get on the Hawks. Right. I don't think enough for that trade. The Suns don't get really any criticism because it was kind of universally accepted at the time, that pick. But if you're going to be on the Luka's transcendent kind of talent, and you don't share the same opinion that you do as far as Aiton being a transcendent, I think the other teams probably can be criticized if that is your philosophy. And I, I, do, I do think the Kings are the primary kind of target there uh, when it should be spread around a little bit more evenly. Yeah, no, I think that that's, that's a reasonable opinion. Um, we've got one more advertisement here. It's, it's going to be a great, terrific product uh, called Simple Contacts. You guys know that I'm a huge fan of Simple Contacts. It's the most convenient way to renew your contact lens prescription and reorder your brand of contacts from anywhere in minutes. Instead of heading to the doctor year after year to just renew your prescription for something you wear every day, you can do it on your own time and terms in just a few minutes. This is vision care for the 21st century. Why would you use it? It's because it's convenient, fast, reliable, offers choice, and it's going to save you money. That vision test is only $20. Uh, the contacts lens prices are unbeatable. Standard shipping is free. And best of all, we're offering a promotion to our listeners. Uh, the, you know, you go to simplecontacts.com. You use that promo code GAMETHEORY20. You're going to get $20 off of your contacts at Simple Contacts. Uh, you go to simplecontacts.com slash GAMETHEORY20, and you're going to get $20 off of your contacts at simplecontacts.com. Uh, they're reliable. It's designed by ophthalmologists and licensed doctors. Uh, review every test so you can skip the office visit but not the care. It takes under five minutes for the vision test it's self-guided it's simple it, i'm just a huge huge fan of simple contacts and how convenient it makes my life go to simplecontacts.com slash game theory 20 or just go to simplecontacts.com and use that code game theory 20 at checkout remember this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam they only test that their that your prescription uh, still helps you see 2020 and they renew your prescription. Uh, they don't write completely new scripts, but go to simplecontacts.com and use that promo code game theory 20. The last thing we're going to talk about here is the college kids. This is a long <laughs> podcast, by the way, this is, we're not going to do podcasts this long, even though you're back, like we're not going to do this regularly, but we've had, we have to catch up on some things, man. Um, I'm sensing a trend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
let's talk about the draft. Zion Williamson is number one. We don't really need to like go crazy here, right? Like that's that's accurate for you. No, he's one. He's one in his own tier. Like he's the guy. He's the guy. <laughs> I think that that's right. Um, beyond Zion, what is your general thought in this draft? Because uh, I'm gener- I'm disappointed. Like I, I am not super enthused. I'm definitely disappointed, but I'm not to the extent where I think the draft is bad. I just think there's a lot of question marks in the draft. Like we don't see what made last draft so special is like the top level players had instincts, intelligence. They they had the skill level. This draft I think is missing a lot of the instincts. Like I love I loved Nas Little. Um, pre-North Carolina, I think you can get into role utilization, all that stuff. But let's, I love the competitive fire. Let's go kill fire, Roy the... Williams. Can we do that? Can we kill Roy Williams for this? <laughs> T- take it away. <laughs> no, I'm like I'm kind of joking with that because like one, of, I think that one of the most underrated players in college basketball this season. I texted you about him earlier. Was Cam Johnson? Um, he's been awesome this year, and they play the same position. They're both that like combo three four guy. Cam's a senior. Roy Default's a seniors. But like, I mean, Luke May hasn't played well this year, and. You know, they're like starting true big men when their roster is like so perfectly designed to go small. And I know that Roy doesn't really do this, but like to me, I always want to have coaches that like just go go with the flow of the roster and adjust around that. So uh, it's been frustrating. I understand why it's happening because Nasir Little has been uh, he's been a problem on defense so far. Like it's it's just like a whirling dervish of like out of position athleticism. Exactly. And I think I brought him up just as a microcosm for the class and that I just don't see the advanced intelligence as far as basketball comfort on the floor from him like he he looks like more of a project player development in the nba is going to be huge for him but you can carry that over to some of the other prospects in this class like rj he has it at times but he doesn't always fully utilize it that's another question mark um like kevin porter we haven't seen him in like a valuable setting like he's clearly talented he's got the best off dribble live dribble game in the class by a good amount but all he does is settle for step backs even when he has advantage situations we haven't seen him make pick and roll reads so you don't really know what to do with him so that's kind of like what i think about the classes there's talent and there's talent at positions that are valuable there's a lot of wing size players in this class but we're not seeing anything i don't think a lot of players have that safety to value floor that i really look for how many players do you think are worth a first round pick right now in this draft because I just went through, I have a top 100 coming. I'll let the listeners know. I have one coming on Monday. Um, I filed it today on Friday. So how many guys do you look at and you think, hey, this like these guys are, I would be comfortable taking them with a first round pick? Yeah, that's a great question. I haven't done an exercise like this yet, but I would guess it's probably less than 20. And last year, I think I had 27 or 28. Yeah, so I'm, I, a, I think, I'm at 21. So you okay. tend to be a little bit more stingy on that than I do. Um, I'm at 21. Yep. And that kind of just speaks to, again, it's just, it's, it's unfortunate that this class came right after last class where last class had the star level talent at the top, but it also had really nice depth. Like you had a lot of valuable players. Like again, Kevin Herter, I really liked, I had him 11th on my board. He went 19th. You had those kinds of players available, like Melton going 46. I look at this draft and I think we talked about this off the pod. Like it looks like there could be that player, but I'm not sure who it is. That's the problem. Right. Right. Like this is the draft where like I think Zion's like number one and it's like Zion's probably going to be the best player in this draft. But like if you told me that the next best guy in this draft went like 16, like in 2013 with Giannis and then like the next best guy went like 25 or whatever Rudy Gobert did like that wouldn't surprise me at all. There are a lot of guys that are very talented. There are a lot of guys that are like kind of projects that are very unproven in a lot of ways. Um, And that that's going to like throw off 
the value of this draft, right? Um, it's not that, like Cole said, that it's going to be a bad draft. It's that it's a bad draft if you have to be the person who makes the decision on who to take. <laughs> exactly right. And I think like the Bowl thing is also really fascinating with the foot injury for a big that kind of, I think, derailed a lot of the momentum there. A lot of people had him number two on their boards. That's, that I mean, is the t- insane to me, by the way. Yeah. I never got to that point. But honestly, in this class, I looked at it and I was like, well, it's not completely un- it's not completely unjustifiable based I, I on think what we've seen. I, I wasn't there. I think it's yeah. unjustifiable. I will be <laughs> just totally honest with you. Like, that guy cannot defend at all. He, he was one of the worst defenders I've watched all season. Yeah. And I, I, I'm on board with you, by the way. Like, I was more su- skeptical and suspect of him. But it's just one of those classes where Bull's a clear case of, like, there's real talent there oh, on yeah. offense. Like, like high-level talent. But he, If you told me what, he ended up being one of the five best centers offensively in the NBA, I would not be surprised. Exactly. And so that's kind of what this class is. is like, there's talent, but, like, what is the value of that? talent what is it doing especially contributing to winning basketball like i think zion is there like for me he's the best he's in the same tier of prospects since i've been doing the draft with luka Doncic and with ben simmons and i would put him ahead of simmons him versus Doncic is very very interesting to me i'm not decided on that because they're so different I was gonna say, like, they're two rather... more different players <laughs> exactly but like but i just find their their contributions to winning they do it in different ways, but they're both projected to be so high level. Like, do you do you prefer the Lucas Luca off the dribble shooting, which you can never really take away, or do you prefer Zion's athleticism, where if the jump shot doesn't develop, there are NBA schemes and smart coaches can take a lot of what Zion does away. Yeah, you can you can take away the jump shot, but you can't take away him jump stopping for in covering ten feet with a jump stop. Like it's just not like I feel like this is not something that you can take away from him. That lateral, uh, we did a little bit preseason. I'm kind of glad we touched on that, but. I think that's his superpower, man. Like, his ability to explode. I did, I did a tweet about this, and I just made a video about this on the Stepien, but, like, his horizontal burst, like, he can jump cut like a running back. We have Insane. Not, we have not seen that movement from, like, a player his of his archetype, of his size. Like, that's why I think that he's going to be able to navigate around bodies better than a lot of these guys who are, like, over-the-top players. They have to utilize their their strength to dislodge guys. Zion can get around you too, which is just super impressive. Yeah. And like college refs have like no idea what to do with him. Like that game last night against Texas Tech, the foul call fouled him out. Like Ugh. he just spun so quickly that there's no way that the guy could get in front of him and have legal guarding position to get a charge. And they called it anyway, because like Zion just kind of barreled through him because he's stronger than him. You know, like it's stuff drives yep. me crazy. Stuff drives me absolutely crazy. Um, <laughs> who are some of the guys that like are lower in this draft? Cause like I had to, again, do this top 100 thing. And I've been like trying to find guys that I even like, right? So like two guys, I, like I like Admiral Schofield and Ty Jerome a little bit. Like, I think that both of those guys are NBA players and that makes me happy. Like that makes me excited about them in relative terms. Um, I have Admiral, like, I'll just throw this out there as a preview. Like, I have Admiral 24, I have Ty Jerome 25. Um, okay. very, very different players. I think Admiral's going to be able to defend at a high level. I think he's really able to shoot it. The differentiation with him, though, now is that he can create off the dribble a little bit. Um, the fact that he can attack closeouts now and, like, actually handle the ball makes me think that it's going to be harder for offenses to not pay attention to him, basically. Yeah, so I have a guy in that range... I- 
actually on Tennessee. I, I really like Grant Williams a lot. I think he's yeah. a really good basketball player, like one of the best decision makers I've seen all year. Just kind of an awkward build at his size, but really strong, can leverage position. Just seeing guys like that, even if he's a situational player, I love his instincts. I love his IQ defensively, and he's got a little bit of shot making ability, uh, and that's kind of intriguing. So I think it like he's kind of like maybe this drafts Gary Clark, um, not the same player, of course, but just somebody who could potentially fall all the way out of the draft if he declares and go undrafted. But I think he can make a team because he's super smart. He has that functional strength and he has some skill level. Yeah. By the way, I have him like top 35, top 40, something in that range right now. Like I, I buy into him as everything but a shooter. I don't really buy into him as a shooter yet, but you know, he's shot 77% from the foul line. If you buy into that over the last two years, maybe, maybe you think he can do that. Maybe you think he can shoot a little bit. Um, Dylan Windler is a guy that I'm a little bit higher on than some I've written so extensively about Windler that I feel like, um, like around the bend on him. Um, freshman, like, are there any, like, should we talk about Quentin Grimes actually? Cause Quentin Grimes is one of the most like interesting ones in general. You had him like top half of the lottery coming into the year, right? Yeah. I think I had him like eight or nine. I was a little bit more skeptical than some, but I also was higher on him than a lot of people. Yeah. Like I, I had him at six, I think, I think I had him at six coming into the year and I have him out of the first round right now. Um, it's funny. I was texting you a couple, maybe, maybe a week ago. And I was like, you know what? Like, I think I would still take him at like 20 or 25 in this draft. (laughs) And if I was a team like Boston and had four first round picks, I would still do that. Um, I just buy the upside still, even though he's really struggled to really find a role with Kansas. Like it it was a bad scheme fit from day one. It was a bad fit because Bill Self was always going to love Devon Dotson like a lot more than him because Dotson just has that defensive ability, has that kind of that energy level, you know, that Quentin doesn't really have. And if Quentin's not making shots and you have Devon at the point guard position, what do you do? Right. Like, what do, you, what do you do in that scenario then with Grimes? Because you're not going to give him the ball and have him like create. You can run like side pick and rolls for him, but they're not. That's not really Bill Self's offense. So I, I don't know what to do with Quentin Grimes right now. Um, like part of me wants to say this guy should like transfer and just like leave Kansas, basically, because I, I don't think that a lot of what he does makes sense for them. And it doesn't seem like he's going to make an impact now anyway. Yeah, when you started this conversation about how many guys would you feel comfortable taking in the first round, he is not one of them for me. I am not comfortable. And I think that you touched on this via text. And like The confidence issues um, are disconcerting. Yeah. Like, I, I understand it based on the situation. Like I agree it's not an optimal situation for him. But the fact that it dera- it's derailed him this much, I think you have to look at that as an impactful input in the, in the yeah. class. And like, I don't think his skill level is outrageous. Like we talked about this again, like his handling it's, it's fine. Like he has control, but he doesn't, he's not explosive really in and out of his moves. Maybe he was a little bit more lower levels, but on tape in college, like he hasn't really gotten that separation. His deception isn't great. Like outside of shooting off the catch at times, like he hasn't really done anything. And I was hiring by, by like, the way, after. if you take out that first game where he went six of 10 from three against Michigan state and everyone was super yeah. fucking excited about him, he's shooting, <laughs> wait for it. 21.7% from three. Oh God. I didn't know it was that bad. Yeah. It's bad. Okay. It's bad. So I think a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people were high on him 
after the Hoop Summit. I can attest to that because I was there. And he was legitimately good at, at Hoop Summit. Like, all the practices, him and Darius Garland were probably the two best players in over the course of that and week. by the way, and to I get think, invited to Hoop Summit, you have to be really fucking good. Yes. So it's not like this is coming from nowhere as far as his pedigree. Like, he has put stuff on tape that's alluring. And he's done it in front of, like, executives. So that's why you see him, you know, start out the season in the top ten. But he has not played like it at all. Like he's, I would still probably take him in the second round over some of these guys just as a developmental guy, like you noted. But there isn't really one thing about his game that has popped for me. Like I liked his instincts at Hoop Summit. I thought he showed some pick and roll crafts as a passer and stuff like that. But if he's not going to perform at any kind of acceptable level, what can you really do with him? So let me let me say this. I actually think that his deception was pretty good at high school levels like he had a really he had like a very nice change pace dribble he had a great in and out dribble his crossover right to left was pretty good i thought um i actually thought he could get separation at the call at the uh, aau level the thing is if you look back at the numbers now of what he was doing at aau level he had a negative assist turnover ratio if i remember correctly um his shooting was not great and the shooting not being great is translated. Um, I actually like his mechanics shooting. Like I think that at some point he's going to be fine shooting basketball. Um, it's just, he's, I think that the confidence, you know, questions have sunk in now. This might be like the first time where he hasn't been successful, like based off of what everyone is telling him maybe, uh, in his career. And I think that that is seeping into his game a little bit. And you mentioned the defense too. Actually, I don't remember if you mentioned this like a second ago, but we've talked about it enough to where like I just know uh, I'm with you on the fact that his defense hasn't been great. Uh, it's been kind of rough so far. You'd think that six foot five, six seven and a half wingspan, two hundred and ten pounds, like very physical kid, that he'd be a pretty good defender early in his career. He's just not that yet. Um, it, it seems like he's thinking too much out there uh, on both ends right now. Like, yes. He doesn't exactly know where to go. And like he knows where to go, but because he's thinking about where to go, it takes him too long to get there. I don't know, man. Like <laughs> I, I'm at the point where I still think that like there are teams that could take him late in the first round based off of what we've seen from him. Right. Like every a or every NBA team has access to the AAU tape that I have access to. Right. Like I, I watched 20 games that he played on the AAU level, like in the Adidas circuit. And if you go back through, you can run through Adidas nations tape. You can run through, um, some like other Adidas. Uh, what was he at? Was he at Euro camp? Do I remember correctly? Was he one I of the kids at right. Euro camp? Um, can't recall. He didn't pop for me there, but I, I did watch that tape. I can't remember if he was. Yeah. And like FIBA, all, FIBA where he won MVP coming into this year. Like it's the craziest thing too. Like he had, he had momentum coming into the year. Like he was, he won the MVP A of lot. the FIBA, uh, U18 Americas. Like he was rolling coming into the year and uh, I don't, it's a bummer. It's a huge bummer. Um, I think that there are teams that would still bet on, and I think he's going to kill workouts, by the way, too, like if he was to declare. I think that there are still teams that would bet on the past sample of what we've seen from him um, and just hope that that works. Yeah, that's totally fair. And my allure with him was like he could be not a point guard, but like a de facto one, like kind of like what I saw with Melton, like that kind of role next to, let's say, Philadelphia at 33 took him and he played next to Ben Simmons. Philadelphia needs more guys who can play both sides of the floor. Like that would be an interesting fit. But I haven't seen enough of the playmaking, enough of the handling ability as far as creating separation, all of that stuff to really project him with any kind of confidence. But that is what I initially was drawn to is can he play the de facto point guard next to you, like a bigger kind of creator who's a primary? Yeah, no, I think that that's reasonable. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone 
anyone else like random that I think is interesting. If you watch any, I showed you, uh, I told you Tyshawn Alexander was interesting. Have you watched any Tyshawn Alexander yet? I have. Are you, are you as he is relatively in as I am? <laughs> I mean, his, his tape definitely pops. I mean, his athleticism on the ball, like some of his dribble moves, creating separation. I think it was the Gonzaga game that I watched and he absolutely just, he destroyed Brandon Clark on a switch with this hesitation crossover. He got to the rim. The shooting looks legit as far as his ability to like take quick pull-ups and, and shoot a little bit off movement off, off the catch he's dynamic offensively he's really skinny he has problems defensively it's going to be one of those things at the end of the year where i'm going to go back over his pick and roll possessions and look at how he makes decisions um but he, there's definitely some intrigue there well you know what we should talk about brandon clark real quick before we get out of here um so i have brandon clark brandon clark is like the number 22 guy for me where like i wouldn't typically have a first round grade on him but like because this draft is what it is. He's like sitting at number 22 for me. And I was having a conversation with uh, an NBA executive and he just like posed the question to me like, okay, so do you think he's like a small ball five or do you think he is a four who like learns to shoot? And it stopped me. And I was like, well, I think that you kind of play both of those sides. And then like, I really thought about it and I was like, well, he's a lot better as like a weak side rim protector than he is as a primary. Like you want him rotating over. And a lot of the time, like he's not going to, if you have him as the five, like he's probably not going to be that. He's probably going to have to leap and be a primary uh, rim protector whenever a pick and roll guard gets middle penetration. And then he's not like quite a short roll playmaker yet, like you know Jordan Bell is as an undersized, like underweighted center. So you basically do have to hope that he's going to shoot it. And like there's been development there, but like the percentages like aren't great. And now I'm like a little bit thrown on Brandon Clark too. Yeah, I thought the hype got a little out of control. Like, I'm very high on Clark. I like him a lot. He's probably a top 20, top 25 guy for me for sure in this class. Yeah, and like you have him where position- I am. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I, I don't think he like he has all NBA defensive upside or something. Like I, that's like that's gotten some build, and I, I just don't think he has the measurables. I mean, at a certain point, physical tools do matter. Like his lack of length hurts at times at the rim. Like his, his lack of size, uh, he's not the strongest guy. He, he's just really good. Like that's you just take gambles on guys like that. Like you know, top 20 top 25 especially in this class like i don't care too much about position i agree with you like he's probably gonna have to shoot he's not really he's definitely not a full-time center but he's kind of one of those tweener types that i tend to gamble on just because he's incredible defensively as far as his team defense awareness not the switch defender i think that a lot of people think but i do think he's very good there in space um and i, I do like his dive ability but again that's more of a, a full-time five role i just think he's a really good basketball player and, and that's how you have to analyze him it's kind of like grant williams they're both not perfect fits in the nba they're just both really good yeah like andre robertson played a like andre robertson played like a reasonable amount of the four when he was at colorado state like they uh they had josh scott in the middle and then they would play um what the hell was that guy's name um xavier johnson I think is the guy not okay. Pitts, not Pitts Xavier Johnson. It was like a, you know, six foot six, like stretch wing kind of guy. Um, and like Robertson would play a little bit of the four, but they're, they're very different because Robertson didn't derive a lot of his value from rim protection. He value derived a lot of his value from being an awesome rebounder who could defend on the perimeter. Clark is kind of the opposite way. Like he derives a ton of his value as a weak side rim protector who can be like a primary rim protector at this level. And then, is like a fine like defender in space. He's a he's like I would say he's a little bit more than a fine defender in space, but like on the NBA sure. level, like you said, he's not going to be this elite defender in space in the on the perimeter. So like I, like I saw some people give that comparison, and 
I don't really agree with it, I guess is where I'm going with this. I, I don't really know what to, I, I just don't know what the role is. You know what? I, it's hard for me to, I agree with you. Like he can just plays basket. He just plays basketball and I don't really <laughs> like, it's hard because you go off the archetypes all the time, right? Like that's a, that's a big thing for you is you like to find role archetype and I don't know what his is. Exactly. And I think like that has burned me at times in the past and I'm, I'm trying to get more into just viewing guys as basketball players and in, in that kind of spectrum. But yeah, at a certain point you have to look at guys like that and say, well, how do they translate? What are their roles? But he's a guy that you can just play. But I also think I don't really agree with having him. If you're really high on him and have him like 15th or something, I don't agree with having someone like Jawan Morgan, like 90th or something. You know what I mean? Like I don't yeah. see the difference there is like crazy. Like Jawan Morgan's he, he's one of my underrated guys. I think he's pretty damn good, man. Like he, have, he's improved this year as a shooter. He's good. Yeah. I have him at like, 50 or 55 or so right now um okay. and i think that might be like low to be honest like, i think I, I've, I think i have him in the first <laughs> do you really yeah Good i just I like you. a lot of what i've I, all my notes this year like I, I watched a lot of romeo but all my notes on morgan this year are mostly positive like i i think that if the shooting is real he's an easier projection in many cases than brandon clark is because of the shooting i know he hasn't shot well in the past but mechanics wise I, I trust morgan more than i trust clark i agree with you mechanics wise i just don't know if either of them can shoot just like straight up, like oh, I don't really 100% agree. buy into either of them shooting. Uh, and if you don't buy into Morgan shooting, I think like 55 is like the right spot for him. Um, <clears throat> the athleticism, that's actually a good question though. Like is Morgan, I think is a little bit more trustworthy as a perimeter defender to me than Clark. He's also stronger. Like his core, he's built in a certain way. I think he can probably leverage position. Like Clark's a better leaper, of course. So he's a better like vertical spacer and stuff. But I think it's like girth wise. I think Morgan has a more intriguing build. Yeah, and Morgan's a little bit better of a passer, too. Yeah, actually, Morgan was a guy, and then the other guy is Vic Clark, or not Vic Clark, Vic Law at Northwestern. Um, I went back and watched a bunch of him, and I have him in the top 60 right now, too. Um, You know, 6'7", 7-foot wingspan, uh, 40% 3-point shooter. I'm not 100% sure I buy the quickness on defense yet, uh, but, like, he's someone that... I'm really going to go through with like a fine tooth comb coming up here in the next, like uh, I guess like once big 10 play starts, like he's someone that I think could shoot up into like late first ish round. Okay. Yeah. I have one more guy and this guy's way more obvious, but I just think he's still getting undervalued a little bit. And that's Trey Jones. Like I know you tweeted a while back. He's a legit first round guy. I think he's like a legit top 20 guy. Like he's really like whenever he plays in a big game, like he was awesome last night on defense. He had like six steals. He was all over, you know, ball pressure wise. He's super smart, makes great decisions. We've seen, I don't think this is a direct comparison, but we see guys like Fred Van Fleet, um, Monte Morris, like, kind of smaller as point guards and Trey's a little bit bigger and plays bigger than that. But the super smart decision makers, if he can shoot, I think he's going to return a lot of value in this class, especially if he goes late first, early second. Yeah. Being an adult on the floor really helps uh, when you're (laughs) a point guard. Like I was talking to uh, like a couple people or a couple guys who uh, run a G league team. And I was just like, yeah, like point guards are hard to find. Just going out and finding adults really helps with developing wings and developing bigs like that like it point guards it like i feel like the backup point guard position in the nba you and i have talked about this for a while like it's been really bad for a while and now it's starting to get better in that like deficiency has kind of crept down to the g league if you look around like g league teams the point guard position like there are very few young point guards like trayvon duval like might be the best young point guard right now um it it's hard to find them and I think Trey Jones, just guys who can handle the ball and be adults out there, really help. 
yeah, and he's better um, than Trayvon, obviously. I think he's, he's oh, a good yeah. prospect. He's he's a legit prospect. Um, I've got looking into mock the way, draft I've right now. I trade eighteen. <laughs> yeah, so. I love that. Yeah, I'm on board with that. I'm looking at a mock right now, and he's 29th. I'm also looking at a mock that has Jarrett Culver in the second round. That's insanity. Uh, <laughs> I won't name names, but that's crazy. I think that Jones is going to be, if he's valued that way, he's valued as like a late first, early second. I think that's one of the safer picks in the class. I'm now I'm now officially guessing what mock it is. And yes, I was right. <laughs> Yes, that, that mock also has Jalen Hands. This is a top 35 pick. And oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> Jalen Hands. Last question. Good God. Last question for me for you. Do you think there's anybody in this class, you can name whoever, that you think is a little overrated right now? Sure. Uh, yeah, that'll be a fun question. Um, my answer would have been Bull Bull before okay. uh, this foot injury like kind of derailed a little bit. Um, guy that I think it's hard to be overrated in this class, I think. <laughs> because like no one is really excited about anyone like some people still have charles bassey very high and like oh dear i see but like i'm starting to like so like i moved charles bassey down to like 40 on my most recent on the update before this one and then i went back and like he dropped like 21 and 9 on daniel gafford in arkansas and like if you look back through like he's actually had some really good performances this year i'm at like 35 like i don't buy the like player archetype but he's just like 6'10", 7'3", wingspan, pretty good rim protector, uh, tough. I think that he's like a backup center. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I like how a lot of the times he plays within himself. He has more of a traditional approach, but I don't think he does anything that's super valuable. Like He's not the most bouncy athlete. His rotations are mostly okay, but they're not like high level. And he has some shooting upside. Um, we've seen that at lower levels, but I don't really buy it as like an impact. So he's just one of those maybe backup developmental centers, and I don't think he has the same kind of intrigue as like a Jared Allen in that respect. Yeah, here's here's one. Um, there's like a huge separation between like um, analytical minds and um, like just like basketball like culture people, like people who just like watch basketball and like look at guys who are super highly skilled. I guess is the way to put it. Um, Naz Reed, I'm like starting to go like not be in on Naz Reed the more I watch him. Um, He's very, very bad defensively. He's like a mess defensively. And like all of his, he has legit offensive talent. Like he can step back and hit like like a three off the dribble. Like his ball handling coordination is pretty remarkable for a player his size. It's truly special, I think. Yes, but his like passing, I think his passing is underrated by the stats. He does have better vision than his stats, assist stats would indicate. But I just don't trust that guy making decisions. I think that's the key with, between him and someone like Jonte Porter, who's just a much smarter player. And he executes so much at a, such a higher level. Like those guys were kind of compared a lot pre the season. And I, I got it from like a skill standpoint, like Jonte can dribble pass and shoot. And in theory, Nasri can too. I'm just not, I'm not intrigued by his defensive decision-making. And I'm definitely not intrigued by his offensive decision-making. Yeah. Like he is a guy that will go earlier than what I am willing to select, I guess is the way to put it. And that, that guy for me is Romeo Langford. Um, I, I think that there is intrigue. Like I get, I get it. Um, his ball handling control is actually pretty good. Like he can get really low with the ball. Um, I've so, been so impressed before, with some, uh, before you go further, let uh, me let me ask you a question. Is there a bigger swing skill for any player in this draft than Romeo Langford being able to shoot? Uh, on first look, no. <laughs> yeah, I like, think so. I think that I think that's a hundred percent the the skill. Continue on where you are in Romeo. What I don't like about him is he we talked about the lack of deception handling the ball with Grimes. You really see that with Romeo. Like, oh yeah. He can dribble yeah, yeah, yeah. really well, but he just he just 
can't create any kind of separation. And the shooting, of course, like we talked about, we've talked about the mechanics in the past as far as he kills his wrist back a lot, a lot of tension there. I'm not sure about the consistency on pull-ups or on off the cash. He's going to have to be a difficult shot maker type, I think. He's going to have to shoot the ball, but he's going to have to be like a dynamic pull-up guy. Like I thought he could be. I never thought he was this caliber of shooter. But like a bigger version of like CJ McCollum to me was like that would that would be his peak. And I don't think he's nearly that level of shooter. So if you don't have that, the allure with him is like he's six six. He's a legit six six. He brings combo guard skills to legit positional size. But if he can't shoot, he can't create separation off the dribble. He's gotten back cut a lot this year. I, I liked some of his defensive tape at the beginning, so I'm not as low as some people are there. But I just don't know what he does that's really valuable, and I think it's going to get overdrafted. Oh, the funny thing is, like, I, I actually think he's been a positive defensively compared to what he was. Like, if you watched him in high school, sure. oh, my God. It was, oh, boy. <laughs> it, it was rough. Yeah. Um, I'm fine with where he's at defensively. Like, I think 6'6", six, 6'10", six, six, wingspan, 6'11", wingspan, like, he's actually learning how to utilize his length and be a useful on ball defender. Um, He's been pretty good at utilizing that length within the pack line where he's like able to close in to like that elbow extended area and then recover out to shooters whenever he gets kicked out on Uh, that. That stuff really has been solid, I think for him. So I'm comfortable there. And the other thing with him is that he has a tight handle with both hands. Like he can drive left and he can drive right. Uh, it's just all straight line, yep. like you said. Like he, he has no shake. He has no. Um, he has actually reasonable change of pace. I think. Like he'll kind of lull someone to sleep, then blow by. But it's it's just like not. There's not enough differentiation there in terms of changing the angle of the defender's feet. And he's always going to be a guy I think that needs the jump shot to be a threat to be a real offensive threat in the NBA. And. Yep. That's why I say that I'm with you whenever you agreed with this. Um, his jump shot is the biggest, biggest swing skill in this draft. If he can shoot the ball, he is a he's probably the five guy for me, to be honest. Like If he could legit knock down 38% of his threes, I think he's the fifth best player in this draft. And I don't think that's unreasonable, frankly. I think that, that there's some merit to that. And it, this is, again, a microcosm of the class is like we don't have a clear depiction. Like it doesn't look right. that promising. Like his shooting numbers aren't great this year. The tape isn't outstanding. Like he, he kind of he's kind of like a streak shooter to me. He can make really hard shots. Like if you watch him at lower levels, like he can make like a fadeaway three. You know what I mean? Like he's capable of doing that stuff. But when you really break down how he wins... He wins by overwhelming smaller players with his size. Like he engages in contact way too early because he's not beating guys cleanly with his first step, with his dribble moves. He really is just like floating and overwhelming guys over the top. And I don't think that role works as well at the next level. Like he's a two guard to me, and I don't use traditional kind of nomenclature for positions, but you want him with the size advantage. That's where he thrives. If he doesn't have that, um, I'm much more worried about him. But you're right. The shot is clearly the input. Yeah, I have him at 10 right now. Um, I think there's a good chance he goes higher than that on draft day. Okay. Um, I like I would not obviously yeah, I mean, take I, him higher than that. With him but like yeah. Four or five. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I think that I'm with you on that. Uh, go ahead. No, no, no. That's it for me. I was gonna say like I, I think four or five is too rich for my blood. I, I don't see enough. I don't see the upside to really justify that either. Like if he pans out and shoots, I think he's an effective potential and potentially an effective starter. But I don't know if he has the upside to really gamble that high on. Yeah. Um. Cool. That's it. We're done. That was that was the first podcast back. How you feeling? <laughs> feeling good, man. We kept it under two hours barely, which is uh, actually that's improvement compared to the prospect podcast we did that we had to take two hours to do like the Lakers. So improvement. I swear, 
that this will not happen all the time. But I feel like people listen to us like kind of come <laughs> to expect it. So it's okay this time. Um, tell the people what you've got going on coming up here. As always, check out the Sepian.com. I just made two videos on Zion Williamson, one on his offensive floor value, kind of just broke down how I expect him to be utilized at the next level, how you know the lack of shooting impacts his role, but how he's one of the few players that I think can actually function at a high level if he doesn't shoot. And then the ceiling video kind of gives comparative examples about pull-up shooting, really interesting case with Blake Griffin, who's starting to shoot pull-up threes at an insanely high level in like his ninth season, which is crazy. So just looking at a bunch of his offensive inputs and trying to gauge value there. And uh, as always, continue to listen to this podcast. Um, yeah, I would say follow Cole on Twitter too, because he puts out a lot of his work just on Twitter for free. Um, yes. That that always is nice. So go follow him at Cole's Wicker on Twitter. Uh, you will see his name in the show notes, obviously. So uh, it's just no space, Cole's Wicker. Uh, I have a big board coming out on Monday. I wrote about John Morant for Thursday. I wrote about uh, Lou Dort earlier, I think on Monday. I wrote about Brandon Clark last week. Go read all of that at The Athletic. Uh, keep me employed over there. I, I enjoy doing what I do. So it'd be great if I could continue to do that. We'll be back later next week at some point. Obviously, the holidays are coming up. I'm not entirely sure I'm going to handle that situation yet. This might be the last podcast before Christmas. Um, I actually don't think I have too many advertisers uh, for next week. So I think I think we might actually be okay. Um, if it is, happy holidays, everyone. Hope you all have a great Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever y'all celebrate. Have a great holiday. Until next time, though, we'll talk soon. Bye.